0: Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash Amos to help us continue to make high quality and tori attainment for you.
1: You've got a, a new single out, Spark, which is from your fourth album from the Quiet Girl Hotel. Yeah. What's it all about? There's a lot of rhythm in this
2: album, and I think it was because uh, I turned to the rhythm of this point in my life in a way that I hadn't before. All the songs except for one were cut live piano, vocal and rhythm and programming. So it was good that it was much more of a of a collaborative um, record you know, instead of a
3: female chick star trip. Oh.
0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're wrapping up our final thoughts on Tori's fourth album. From the Choir Girl Hotel.
1: I am not to I am not.
0: Well, hello, David. Oh, hi,
4: Eve. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I can't believe it. We've been bobbing around in Pandora's
0: Aquarium doing the backstroke in these choir girl waters for a year. I think I'm starting to prune. Yeah, I'm starting to get wrinkled. Yeah. I'm really excited to announce our new recording schedule. We're recording every Sunday now. Mm hmm. And we've done it twice. So I'm willing to say we are, in fact, doing it every Sunday. Yes, we have a plan, and we're doing it throughout the entirety of 2021, mm-hmm. so you can expect weekly at least recording sessions. Hopefully, they'll amount to weekly releases. Yeah, we're recording
4: on Sunday, so it's like Oprah Super Tory Sunday or something. I don't know, but...
0: This year's going to be big for us. We're going to get through the Choir Girl B-Sides. We're going to get to Venus and back. From from the Choir Girl Hotel to, to Venus and back. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. From to... <laughs> from to... Yes.
4: Um, From the depths of the ocean to the outer reaches of space, there's nowhere we won't take you.
0: Yes, we're a travel show. <laughs> it's our version of travel writing. Can we become a cooking show too? Why not? Yeah, when we get to uh chocolate song, I think we should do a chocolate fondue. I think so too.
4: You know what? I actually had ratatouille last night. No strict nine though, but I think it was the first time I've ever had ratatouille. <laughs> what is ratatouille? It's basically vegetables. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. Why is it called ratatouille? I don't know. I don't speak French. You might assume that I do from the way that I look, so worldly and continental. But no, I do not speak French.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have that French air. Uh huh. That tight-lipped scowl upon all Americans. I do a thin mustache and a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Looking into the new year. Did you have any New Year's resolutions for the podcast, for your Tory community? You mean as I look into the crystal ball of 2021? Yes. My one
4: and only resolution is to talk about Tory more. To pack every spare (laughs) thought and moment with Tory content until it's bursting at the (laughs) seams. Most people would think that was an impossible
0: task. I know,
4: but I love assigning myself an impossible task and designing puzzles I can't solve. Mm -hmm. But God forbid. (laughs) I know that about you. Yeah, God forbid I have any empty moments where I'm left with my own thoughts. So anytime I. God forbid. Yeah, no, no, no. Never a good thing. (laughs) No, thank you. Anytime I sense that vacuum developing, I'm just going to fill it with Tori. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, no. So we're two weeks in. How are your resolutions looking? And did you have any for yourself and or the podcast?
0: Well, my podcast resolution, and I'm sticking to it, is that we produce weekly, at least record weekly. Some episodes might be hefty, might take two recording sessions, but hoping to produce and release weekly so that we can get through this massive catalog. That's my podcast resolution. But my Mm. personal resolution is to just like live in the moment, be happy, enjoy my life, things like that hmm Wander down to the
4: farmer's market when the mood strikes. I like it.
0: You know, it's right outside my door. Mm-hmm. Um, David, someone's watching you. Someone is looking right at you. I felt it. I felt their eyes dressing me, you dressing who my is? body. <laughs> who, who is it? Dressing I yes. felt their eyes dressing my body. Yeah, they're like no more. <laughs> putting more, more clothes, clothes on me. Exactly right. He's not wearing enough sweaters. <laughs> It's one Mrs. Shay Stymac, oh. our historian, our archivist, and our wrap-up co-host. Hi, Shay. Hi, Shay.
5: Hello. How are you?
0: Oh, well, how are you?
5: Doing good today, thanks. I'm excited to be back.
0: How's your new year been?
5: My new year's been just like the rest of the last year
0: has been. So <laughs> we're good. Oh, good. Well, most people would say that would be bad.
5: <laughs> Personally, my life is steady and good. So yeah.
0: You're like, what pandemic? This is great. More free time. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I was home a lot anyways. So my life really didn't change that much. So
0: how did you feel about the Choir Girls season? I'm going to just get right in there with you both. Where do you stand? Are you a fan of Tori Amos yet? Have I turned you?
5: <laughs> I was turned much, much before I found you, Efren. But <laughs> uh-huh. I... Really, <laughs> I really enjoyed the season. Um, I especially loved how quickly we got through it. So um, I'm excited to continue with the B-sides. But yeah, I thought it was a great
4: year of shows. What about you, David? I am cautiously in favor of Tori Amos after discussing this album. <laughs> she has to prove herself a little bit more. I had a lot of fun with it since this era is kind of when I met Well, I guess I met a lot of my best friends during Do Drop In, but when I did a lot more shows on the Plug Tour. So I have a different sense of nostalgia around this era and the concerts in particular. So it was really fun to revisit that and also these songs, of course.
0: Yeah, it was really great to go back in time and to just remember all the people in my life at that time and see who's still around 22 years later, 23 years later now. Amazing. So this is the episode where we're reading listener mail, tweets, Instagram messages, DMs, everybody who wrote us this season. We've kept pretty good track of everything. So we're gonna read your thoughts on the songs and anytime you think that we didn't get it right, we're gonna also read that. But that'll be a little snarkier. What do you think, David? Yeah, we like to keep the snark to a maximum on this show. (laughs) Um, We also have guests that we're excited to have on this episode. We were able to book Al Perkins, one of the world's most well-known steel guitar players. He also played on Playboy Mommy. He will be here to talk about his time working with Tori on Playboy Mommy. We also have two super fans. We're talking to Aaron Marie today about IIE. And we're also hearing a story from Erin Zamora about her connection to the song Playboy boy mommy all three of those interviews are really really great we're super excited to get to them but first let's say thank you to our patreon supporters because we couldn't do it without our patreon supporters you ready david yes we've had a lot of patreon support since our pandora's aquarium episode i think people were shocked that we got through it in one year and they're like what so they threw some cash our way you ready i'm just picturing us dancing around in the raining money Mm Mm-hmm. yeah right
4: (laughs) It's not the only reason we're wet, because of that rain.
0: First, we'd like to say hello to new patron hyphen, but not the black or the dove part, just the hyphen. Someone's got to represent the hyphen. Mm -hmm. The hyphen is too often forgotten when that song gets onto set lists.
4: I like it. It's just like eating the middle of the sandwich.
0: Yeah, just the meats. (laughs) We needed some hyphen representation. Mm. We'd like to say hello to new patron Brian Corbett, who jumped up to our highest level. Hi, Brian. Brian, live,
4: still corbiting.
0: Hello to the wonderful Michael Carly, who jumped in as a patron. We miss you already, Michael. Carly's and guitarleys. Yeah, uh, that's good. Hello to new patron Simon Jones. Hi, Simon. I'm not sure where he's from, but his donation came in as a euro. Ooh, exotic. He's Simon, he's Simon. Gonna hang these Jones out to dry. That is not the melody of Tom Bigby <laughs> at all. <laughs> good try, though. I support it. I'm giving you snaps. Uh. Hello to new patron, Christopher Rudolph. I'm here for his Reindeer King games. <laughs> Drew Culler, who edited his pledge up to a higher level. Hi, Drew. Key change. Patreon boost. See the Drew Colors
4: changing.
0: <laughs> I love it. I always associate Drew Colour with free coat checks because I met Drew on tour at a venue that had a free coat check. So every time I see Drew's name or Instagram post or anything, I just want to take off my coat. Was that a rarity, free coat check? You guys were like, damn, we have arrived. It was like the only time that particular perk
4: has been performed. I imagine you just like layering down like a Russian nesting dolly, like, oh, it's free. Good thing I wore five <laughs> coats today. I'm going to check them all. I'm bringing in all the coats from the car. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hello to new patron Daniel Stalker who came in as a British pound. We have a euro and we have a British pound. Daniel's in tonight on a plane. God, he looks like Daniel. Hello to new patron Robert Eppers. Thank you so much, Robert. You say eppers, we say yappers. 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 Hello to new patron Stacy McCullough. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Black-winged roses. That Stacy changed their McCulloughs. <laughs> Good one, David. <laughs> Hello to new patron Rachel Cluender. I hope I said that right. Could be Rachel Clunder. Clunder wishes it could be Cluender. Yeah, hmm. or vice versa. Yeah. Hello to new patron, Jeremiah Webb. Hi, Jeremiah.
4: Scarlet's web has finally been updated to Jeremiah's web, now with Flash 2.0
0: animation. Maybe we'll finally get Mountain. Unlikely. And finally, thanks to our final patron of the month, Simon Carl. That makes two Simons this month, David. Oh my gosh. Liquid Simons. Once again thank you to all of our supporters. We couldn't shouldn't and wouldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Let's get right into it. Let's play a cover. Let's do let's do a remix. Let's do something. Let's just get right into it. Uh, let's do something, please. Let's just do something for once. <laughs>
1: Some on the water voice want. too to look at I Some i, I on the water voice and I I it to look at I some i the water voice and I I it to look at I let say and person. let secret and person. let secret and person. let secret and person i say secret and maybe on my face didn't get bruised and the say secret and on my face didn't get bruised and the say secret and on my face didn't get bruised and the say secret and on my face didn't get bruised and you
6: I'm i going
1: to be
0: For those of you who don't know, I'm sure you all out there know, but Shay is our historian, our archivist. She puts together our show notes. Today's show notes document is very, very long because we had to make sure that we got everything in. You know how we are. Everything that we didn't say, every quote that we didn't mention during the 12 episode season, we had to get it in here. So Shay, what's it like putting together these documents? Give it, Walk us through your process.
5: Well, I obviously start with the album liner notes themselves. I search the web high and low for any quotes or articles or videos I can find. And then when I think I finished with that part, I then refer to all the books that I have, all the fanzines that I have, things like that. Yeah, it's really fun. And then for these wrap-up documents, these are quotes that I don't think really fit with any song in particular, but I think that they should be included because she gives some really good insight, I think, into parts of her thinking when she was writing the album that she didn't necessarily refer to in quotes about particular songs so that's where all these come from i love it i
4: love that i picture shay like indiana jones only sexier (laughs) going (laughs) yeah going into the tory archive tombs going through these old records and one day one day she will come upon the holy grail that is the tory michael stipe collaboration
0: i'm sure of it
5: could you imagine i think i might keep that to myself
0: just keep your pickaxe handy Well, let's start here at the top of the document. This is from TV Guide Online Chat, August 5th, 1998. Tori, you once said that Little Earthquakes is like your diary, and that Under the Pink is your fantasy, and that Boys for Pele is your novel. What is from the Choir Girl Hotel for you?
5: I think it's a car race, but with women racing the cars, and it's not about winning as much as it is about fluidity and form. I find independence very sexy, and I see these songs as very independent from each other. That's why I put them in a singing troupe.
0: They're very independent. That's why I put them together to rely on each other as a singing troupe does (laughs) that needs each other for different parts of the songs. I find independence very sexy. I go wild
4: on the 4th of July. Can't get enough of it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've seen it. Also, did Tori ever say that Under the Pink was her fantasy? I know she said it was an impressionist painting.
0: But maybe it could have been like, you know, something lost in translation. You're not sure who asked the question. It could have been...
5: Right. This is a chat user. So they might have gotten the painting the painting changed in their heads to fantasy yeah for right
0: reason. you can never rely on chat users yeah you can never rely on the fans <laughs> i think this was one of those moments
4: years later where someone relatively recently brought up those first three albums and the way she described them as diary painting a novel and she was basically shrugged and was like i don't know i was kind of just like making shit up at the time <laughs> she wasn't able to carry right. through like with she,
5: that she's like oh god does this have to continue right. do i really need to make yeah some kind of metaphor uh-huh.
0: I mean, let's go further. So I don't think she, even though she says it may be that she was just making shit up at the time, it's really good shit. (laughs) Like Little Earthquakes is a diary. I see Under the Pink is an impressionist painting and clearly Boys for Pele is a novel that took us two years to get through. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) what would To Venus and Back be? A series of digital shorts. Oh, yes.
5: Or maybe like a guide to navigating certain feelings. (laughs) Your guide to sadness.
4: The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Only guide is spelled G-U-Y, like a guy, because it's Tori. Yeah. (laughs) Apostrophe Z. Uh-huh. <laughs> what would Strange Little Girls be?
5: Strange Little Girls is a fashion magazine.
4: Ooh. Or a series I'm of into that. Or a series of online dating profiles.
6: Yeah, that too.
4: Yeah. Strange Little Girls <laughs> is Tinder. Swipe. Would you swipe left or right on New Age? Oh, definitely right. What about you, Shay? I feel like you oh, I feel dang. like you might be threatened by another sexy librarian. <laughs> <laughs> What would Scarlet's Walk be? It would be a map, obviously. Moving on. Yes. Remember when Tori got really into cartography? Oh, my God. So hot. (laughs) Sexy.
0: (laughs) What about the beekeeper? Gardening manual. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I like that. I love this. American Doll Posse. And don't say a singing troupe.
5: I mean, that could be um, another kind of in the same world as Strange Little Girls, but a little better.
0: Introduction
4: to stagecraft. Acting. Like technical theater? No. Yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> acting.
0: What about Abnormally Attracted to Sin? Self-help manual for That's depression like, and anxiety. Yes.
5: Oh, I was going <laughs> <say, laughs> to say something like that. What's that book? The sex book from the 70s? <laughs>
4: Everything you always wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Something like that.
4: Can you imagine if you finally got to ask all the questions about sex you'd been afraid to ask and the answer was
0: Mary Jane? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, wait, what? (laughs) I love this game. Tweet at us if you have any answers that are different than ours. From Visions Magazine, May 1998. David, why don't you read this? Okay. These are quotes about the album just in general, and then we're going to get into listener comments.
4: When you sing and write songs, you have to let go of them at some point. I let records go, and as soon as I do that, they don't belong to just me anymore. This is surely a vulnerable area. It's not comparable with a manuscript, which an actor tries to fill with his personality. I write stories, which on the one hand are nothing but stories. On the other hand, still have roots in my own life. I put these songs out, and if someone wants to go to the toilet with them, then he can do it. If you really believe in peace and believe that everyone can deal with the songs as he pleases, as long as he doesn't personally harm me, then you shouldn't be worried about it. As soon as someone would want to cause me or my circle any pain, I'd take everything in the hand to protect those I love. However, everyone has the right to hate my songs. I'm vulnerable, and yet I believe in the free will of my listeners. One has to learn, out of the pure reasons of self-protection, to separate one thing from the other, not to take everything so personally, even if it's meant personally."
0: That's very mature. Mm
4: -hmm. I still crumble when someone doesn't like me. Me too. I love when Tori references herself or her own work, too. She's like, if you really believe in peace, as I do, as you may remember from the song (laughs) The Waitress by me, released in 1994. Bitch. (laughs) Bitch. So I love
0: that she says, whatever you want to do with my songs, do. If you want to go to the toilet with my songs, go ahead. I don't care.
4: I was going to ask you, have any of us in this room, the three of us, what happens in this room, stays in
0: this room, gone to the toilet with one of Tori's (laughs) songs? I've gone to powder my nose. Mm Mm-hmm. I
5: don't ever use the bathroom for anything.
0: Yeah, ladies don't speak about this, David. This is not a potty podcast. Do they sing about it? Sometimes. (laughs) A potty podcast? That's cute. That's cute. (laughs) That's a really good segue, David, because I was thinking, since we asked Michael Carly all season where the perfect place to listen to each of these songs was, we never got to answer it. So I thought we could answer it just off the cuff here today. So what is the best place like where in the entire world would you want to listen to these songs where do i want to listen to them or where or like where would be the perfect place that like embodies
4: the song or to optimize the listening experience
0: no i mean <laughs> you're like with dolby surround sound obviously exactly <laughs> <laughs> in Ocean uh, oceanway studios on sunset mm. spark in bed with the covers pulled up over my head love it shit
5: I just have the video playing in my head. So maybe with my feet in icy cold water in a creek, like a little bit scared.
0: Mm. (laughs) With some waterproof Bluetooth headphones as I'm jumping up out of the pond. (laughs) What about you? For me, I don't know. God. Instead of going through the whole list right now,
4: should we just, when we talk about each song individually, make that part of it? Oh, yeah.
5: Okay, that's a good idea.
0: Spark. For me, I think looking out over the LA skyline, From the tallest building in downtown la that's where i want to listen to spark that's cool yes let's read this from sonic net yahoo chat april 13th 1998 are you nervous at how some of your fans may react to the new album i'm putting i'm putting fans in quotes not the the questioner didn't are you nervous at how some of your so-called fans may react to the new album
5: nervous is a feeling that i usually have before i play live When you finish the work on record, I've always made peace with it before I let it go, or I don't let it go. There are always things that when I look back, I would change about everything I've ever done. However, at a certain point, you have to send the girls off down the lane with their lunchboxes. Some have milk in their lunchboxes, some have a bottle of Krug in their lunchboxes, and wave them goodbye, and they're not yours anymore.
6: Hmm.
5: I think that's sweet. And yeah. it's probably so necessary for most artists to have to do that and not zero in and pay attention to what reviews say or, you know, fan chatter online, things like that. You have to let things go.
0: Oh, yeah. If I had any kind of global reach, it would be impossible for me. Like, I'm not the kind of person who would Google myself and see what people said because it would no way. It would cripple me. What do you mean? We do have global reach. We were like number three in Thailand, remember? Oh, yeah, we were. <laughs> oh, of course. I forget we're doing a podcast. I thought we were just having a conversation. Right.
4: <laughs> I like how this journalist or whoever was moderating this chat, by the way, was trying to like low key plant the seeds of self doubt in Tori. Are you nervous <laughs> about how some of your fans might react to this new album?
0: I've listened to this record, and girl, are you nervous? Are you nervous? Because I would be. I don't. Uh, I feel like I she's
4: I still. Written, like the harpsichord. But I imagine, as any creative or artist, you have that feeling when someone. Something is released into the world, especially if it feels deeply personal. And I think she has this feeling is still with her. And I think she even talked about it with Native Invader that the process is different now because it's basically like we hit the button on the finished mastered album, and that felt like releasing it into the world. So I think she talked about that feeling too. Like here we go, yeah. we're uploading the album. It's
0: not mine anymore.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel when we release an episode. Thank I know. Yeah, I'm- <laughs> It's not mine anymore. (laughs) Luckily, if I mess up on anything, we can just replace file. I don't know that Tori can do that. (laughs) (laughs) So we did this years ago on our Little Earthquakes wrap-up episode. So I thought we could do it again here, where we look at Rolling Stone's top albums of 1998, taken from 1998, and see just... Tori came in 30th from the Choir Girl Hotel, came in 30th in 1998. Let's see what came in above her, David. First, right after her, Alanis Morissette's supposed former infatuation junkie, which I also love, and Madonna's Ray of Light came in after that. That's pretty shocking that
4: Tori ranked. That ray of light came in so low? Yeah. Well, that Tori ranked above Alanis, Madonna, yep. Garbage, Lauren Hill. Yeah. I feel like if this list was reassessed looking back at 1998 now, Lauren Hill would probably be at like number one.
0: No, very no way. very high. The Miseducation Lauryn Hills great, but I don't know it would come in number 1.
4: But f- just for how well it's regarded critically, I think it would be up there for sure.
0: She came in above PJ Harvey, is this Desire, Beck Mutations, REM up, Pearl Jam, she came in above Outcast. Shakira? <laughs> I know.
4: Shakira, Shakira. Shakira has been on my mind a lot lately. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. I just for some reason underneath your clothes popped into my head and I'm like remember that year when that was a big hit? <laughs> (laughs) And you could turn on the radio at any given moment and hear underneath your clothes. And we all just like accepted that. Your hips don't (laughs) lie. They really don't.
0: Girl, I never knew you could talk like this. you make me want to speak Spanish. Mm.
4: You're lucky that my breasts are small and humble. Otherwise, you might confuse... <laughs> so I don't want to confuse them with mountains.
0: <laughs> mountains and Tom Bigby. <laughs> so, above Tori, we have Cheryl Crow, The Globe Sessions, Bell and Sebastian, The Boy with the Arab Strap, and I'm not complaining about either of those two. But the ones I'm taking exception to are Linda Ronstadt, We Ran, Liz Fair, White Chocolate Space Egg, R. Kelly R., Timbaland, mud honey big pun mary lou lord <laughs> who are these people kid rock at number three my goodness asian dub
4: foundation john mellencamp self-titled i don't know
0: sarah evans no place that far too far well now that we've trashed everyone else that came out in 98 <laughs> that's the point of this segment it's just to talk major shit well what would you put at number one if not Tori is from the choir girl hotel
4: oh like i was saying probably the miseducation of lauren hill is this desire would be up there in ray of light i would just bump those much higher it's almost as if i love female singer
0: songwriters i never knew this about mm. you you learn something new every episode shay what would you put at number one
5: well i can just think back to myself and it would probably be madonna that i mean i've never really been a huge madonna fan but when ray of light came out i was all about that album i loved it so if it wasn't tori i would definitely do ray of light mm.
0: what year was your first child born shay 2002 did you listen to ray of light when you became a mother
5: no i mean after that first year i mean i didn't really consume much madonna after that album and i didn't really continue to to play it but when it came out i loved it <laughs>
0: <laughs> for that one month period man
5: <laughs> it was great at the time
0: i love that album it's probably my favorite madonna album
5: why do you ask if i listened to ray of light when my child was born
0: because that was madonna's first album as a mother
5: i see no i was definitely all consuming scarlet's walk it was all Scarlet's Walk. Oh, I love it.
0: Since this is our wrap-up episode, we've received emails from people about a variety of topics, mostly the episodes that we have just done, but also sometimes episodes that we've done a long time ago. So we're including some of those comments here. So we're going to actually start. The first one is from episode 36, Mary Marianne. Why don't you read this, David? Mm-hmm. This is from Shauna Kundal. And she wrote us to say, Tuna, rubber, a little blubber in my igloo. It seemed like maybe you
4: two were a little stumped by it. Sorry, it's been a while, so I might be misremembering. But I always thought of that as her looking down at her stomach and commenting on it, thinking on motherhood and the physical aspect of it. Tuna equals muscle. Rubber equals skin. Blubber equals fat. Igloo equals womb. And then it's a little incubator, perhaps, or has that shape? Like a real striking contrast between giving life and taking it away. Giving life feels so disconnected, too, to the person that eventually develops, who they become and what they end up doing, especially choosing to end their life. Anyway, thought you might be interested. Shauna.
0: What do you think?
5: I will chime in and say, I think she's got a point. I do remember you guys talking about that lyric in that episode. And I agreed with you. And I still do that that I I've never really understood that lyric. But is it Shanna or Um, She definitely has put a lot of thought into it. And I really like what she's figured out here.
0: Yeah, I really love that. I've always thought of that line as some as a line that she just sort of made up to the sound of the music in that moment. But we know that she'd been working on that song all day, that the recording is as she played it for the first time, but like in her head, it's kind of spinning. So it feels like maybe she didn't write that in the moment. Maybe there is some uh, something to what Shauna is saying. Thanks, Shauna. This is a comment from Crystal about episode 335, I'm on Fire.
5: Crystal says, I listened to the I'm on Fire episode and I have an observation to submit to you. Tori as you have illustrated, does not change the pronouns of songs. Thank you, Nana. So when she sings, does he do to you the things I won't do? This is my thought. We know she recently broke up with Eric, and there was a love triangle at some point. So I'm thinking she's singing the song to Eric, who she, based on the entirety of Pele, is still clearly enamored with. And she's saying that of the other woman. Does she do the things I won't do? Is that why you chose her? That's what Tori is left with, that desire that remains after a breakup. Anyway, Jambalaya is on the stove and I gotta go, sir. No, <laughs> Jambalaya is on the stove and I gotta go, stir. <laughs> Y'all are awesome. Kitty Von Trapp of the Hillbilly Von Traps, aka Lady with Disgrace, aka Crystal.
0: I think that's totally plausible. Obviously, she's thinking about her own personal experience, which at this point in her life is probably Eric, who knows. I think this is quite possible. Yes, I agree.
4: But we'll never know. That's why you shouldn't cook and do album criticism at the same time. You have to run off and tend to your jambalaya.
0: <laughs> yeah, where's the other half? Um,
4: I thought I was the lady with disgrace. You're the woman with disgrace, oh, which doesn't you. rhyme. It's disgraceful thank nonetheless.
0: <laughs> This is from Kevin Angioli about our episode number 338, Siren. Go ahead, David. Hello, Ephraim and David. Hello!
4: (laughs) Hello! As I said on Twitter, I loved your Siren episode. I wanted to respond a bit more at length to a couple of things you mentioned. Knowing Siren was next, I pulled out my Great Expectations CD, which I've had since 1998. To connect to the idea that the songs for Great Expectations actually were in part written for the movie and made to connect, overseen by Patrick Doyle and Alfonso Cuaron, the No She Breaks line connects to a song deeper down the track list called Breakable. In that one, a woman sings, and it sounds like she's addressing another woman like a friend who is mistreating her man over and over again and failing to see his fragility and failing to understand that as a complex emotional human with a psychology, he can't just bounce back from the fights they have. Some women seem to severely underrate men's capacity for emotional and psychological complexity and sensitivity. Even Tori seems this way sometimes. Keep up the great work, Kevin. Or was it keep up the great work, Kevin, like he was giving himself a pep talk? P.S. I've been singing Cool Kid for 21 years. It's going to be hard to start singing Coquette, which was right there in the incomplete lyric book all along. I never made out even a bit of that line about you don't need a light on to find your way to her southern lands of gold. So thanks for that. And the Merman Connection and the Virginia Connection and the History of Vanilla and all of that. Wow, I forgot we got to the History of Vanilla. <laughs> Fascinating hey, expose on the
0: History of vanilla. <laughs> <Vinila. laughs> vanilla. <laughs> so I think it's interesting because we did talk about in the Siren episode how there was that one little blurb about how Alfonso Cuaron and Patrick Doyle had written all the songs on the soundtrack, right?
4: Do we take this to mean that the Great Expectations soundtrack is more of a concept album than we ever considered? And by that, I mean, we never considered that at all.
0: Well, it's interesting that they're all songs that haven't really appeared anywhere else. Like, where a siren appeared? It didn't appear on a piano. It didn't appear on any of the greatest hits, right? Mm -hmm. This is a song that lives on this album only. Same with the other artists, for the most part. So I think it's quite possible that these were all written to work together yeah and that could be what makes that soundtrack really good because it is a really great soundtrack
5: it is it's one of the few that tori appears on that i have always listened to the whole thing you know yeah oh, great songs
0: i love not mission impossible 2 no escape from i, don't, I couldn't
5: even tell you what else is on escape there. escape from la <laughs> it's like no. a.
0: it's all just really hardcore music and then you've got like carnival
5: Oh, God, I love Carnival. Let's talk about Carnival. Okay.
0: Okay. (laughs) Let's make Um, this the Carnival episode. (laughs) Okay, why not? Diversion. (laughs) Um, All right, we're going to get into Spark. Let's get into Spark. We released that episode on February 5th, 2020. And here are a couple quotes that Shay found that I think work in this section. Take it away, someone. This is from the Phoenix New Times, September 24th, 1998.
5: We cut the album live with a drummer which I've never done. Normally, I cut live piano vocals and everything is then built around that performance. Whereas Choir Girl was about piano, vocal, synth in one room cut live with the drummer in the other room.
4: And that drummer wasn't just any old session guy. It was Matt Chamberlain, most recently of Critter's Buggin' and formerly drummer for the spacey neo-hippie outfit Edie Brickell and New Bohemians. Having created her rhythms with the piano and the push and pull of the breath for so long, Emma says the decision to play with Chamberlain wasn't made lightly. Ironically, it was Amos's former partner, Ross, who brought the two together.
5: After the miscarriage, when I'd begun writing, I put it out there to Eric, I'm kind of open to a drummer, and he said, well, I found him. And Matt came out, and within five minutes of us playing together, we just started giggling hysterically, going, this is fun. If you have the wrong drummer, the whole thing fails. Most drummers can't keep time, but he was always really aware of what the keyboards were doing because he felt the songs know that medium so well, because that's what I've been doing for 30 two and a half years of my life so that's how i define
0: everything that's a bold statement most drummers can't keep time
5: i know is that throwing shade at like an entire community
0: yeah (laughs) let's not publish this quote in drummer weekly can you imagine tori and
4: matt sitting down to play and then they just start giggling hysterically you're the cutest no you you no no it's you stop it I wonder what they were giggling about. What do you think? I can imagine that when they first sat down to see how they worked together as players, what we got was *Bachelorette*. Oh,
0: interesting.
4: And oh, how they laughed.
0: Better than *Northern <laughs> Lad*, and then he just starts giggling hysterically. I know, or or *Hotel*, and they're like, "Oh,
4: this is fun, you fooler! I i e, i i me." <laughs> Doesn't even make any sense. (laughs)
0: Mark's just behind the control board, rolling his eyes. Musicians. This is an email from one of our favorites. This is Katherine McManus, and she says, I'm ingesting every single minute of the Spark episode, backtracking a lot to be sure I hear everything. I find myself responding to and agreeing with you and David so much. You both have such deep empathy to speak so knowledgeably and eloquently about miscarriage. I had two miscarriages back-to-back, Christmas 2016 and spring 2017, so Spark and all of Choir Girl took center stage in my playlist again. I could have talked a lot about it in a voicemail or as a guest, but the wounds are still pretty raw, even though I'm in a much better place now one line I want to share my thoughts on you say you don't want it the circus we're in for me Before my own losses, and even more so after, meant not being sure if you even want to be a mother. Not being sure you want to put yourself through even a healthy pregnancy, if lucky enough. Healthy pregnancy is traumatic enough with all the changes in hormones and impending life change, but the horrors of miscarriage, it's a complete nightmare. My pregnancies were surprises, but welcome ones. When I experienced both losses, one at the hospital and the other was at home, I said never again. No drugs, no extreme measures, no desperation to have a child as most women seem to feel, and that makes me feel very broken, not like a woman. Not wanting to be that whole fertility circus is what that line says to me lately. That line, but you don't really mean it, is a challenging one for me now. It sometimes makes me feel that I'm making the wrong decision by not joining the circus. Other times I feel tempted to join the damn circus. That's society getting to me. That's loneliness and the desire to belong with my fellow sisters getting to me. Such a heavy line. I get the video now completely. The video was my second introduction to Tori back in 98, 99. It spoke to me then when i felt trapped and was struggling with teenage stuff at the end of the video tori has broken free almost she's desperate for help but the people in the car look at her all confused not sure what to do then they drive off she is left alone safer than emerging from the darkest depths of loss and grief but still bound by it for me the people in the car are the family friends and acquaintances that look at me like i'm crazy for not wanting to join the circus they are the well-meaning but totally wrong words like just try again or at least you know you can get pregnant They can't really help, but they try. Then they drift away because I can't relate to their parenting world. When you experience a trauma, especially a miscarriage, only those who experience it themselves can come close to understanding, but still everyone's experience is different. It's so sad and poignant, but also incredibly empowering to see her fight her way to safety. Spark was the first song to fully reel me in into the Toryverse, and 20 years later, it has become a helpful metaphor for my healing journey. I'm only halfway through the episode at this point, so I might have more to say. Oh my God, thank you all for what you create, for bringing the community together, and for listening. And thank you, Catherine, for writing in that very personal story that the parallels are beautiful. I really
4: respond to that, particularly her discussion of the line, you say you don't want it, the circus we're in. I watched every single episode of the first season of Couples Therapy on Showtime yesterday, which I highly recommend. And one of the couples featured, um, one person in the couple is transgender, and they're dealing with fertility issues and conceiving. And really talking through how much they kind of resent that their process is going to be more complicated and difficult than it might be for other people. And at one point they think they've successfully conceived and then they go through this process of sort of evaluating, oh my gosh, like we really wanted this thing, but what are all these changes really gonna mean? And that's, what's that gonna do to my body? And I think that's kind of what Catherine is saying here. So I really respond to that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine like after having gone through that trauma, wanting to do it again, even with potential promise of a healthy pregnancy. We received a correction from Becca because we said in our Spark episode, David, that it was a high-risk pregnancy over the age of 30. So we misspoke, and Becca's here to keep us honest. Go ahead, Shay.
5: Becca says, back in the 90s, the whole over-35 equals high-risk pregnancy was probably a thing, a geriatric pregnancy, but it definitely was not after 30, as mentioned in the Spark podcast. In 2020, however, doctors are a bit more chill. I'm 38 and 32 weeks pregnant, and I am so surprised how my age is never mentioned. When I called myself old to my obstetrician, he was like, you're not really old at all. If you're otherwise healthy, and so is the baby, I don't believe you're defaulted to high risk based on your age alone. Don't quote me on that, though. Also, it might be different in Australia compared to the USA. Anyways, keep up the great work.
0: I think if the global pandemic has taught us anything, it's that it is different in Australia compared to the US. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very true. And where can I find a chill doctor? Like, that's what I need. I just need like a chill doctor. A doctor (laughs) who wants to chill. Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We had a lot of comments on our Spark episode. We can't read them all, but here's another one from Cat H. Take it away, David. I'm writing today because I wanted to share a
4: different point of view on the line. You say you don't want it again and again, but you don't really mean it. She means all those years of silent prayers all teenage girls and young women say each month. Tori's thinking regretfully on all those times she said an ill wish that she didn't want to be pregnant at different times in her life. She is now sure she wants this baby and is thinking about those prayers and trying to take them back. These really deep thoughts she once thought, boy, you best pray that I bleed real soon. How's that thought for you? Cat.
0: I love that.
4: So do I. I could see that tying those two lines together for sure.
0: Yeah, I can see tying those two thoughts together, especially if you've played that song so many times. She's played it hundreds of times by this point, right? So she's inhabited that line, boy, you best pray that I bleed real soon, many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. And here now, it's just a different perspective.
5: Yeah, I agree.
0: All right, moving on to Cruel. Where would you play Cruel? Anywhere in the world, David, if you could. I would play it sitting at
4: my vanity, putting my makeup on, plotting revenge like Helen in Death Becomes Her, <laughs> going after Madeline Ashton. Yes. Yeah.
0: What shade of lipstick? Um, shady Feline. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> Perfect.
5: <laughs> is that a pink or a red? I'm not familiar.
0: Effusia. I think it's deep dark. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about you, Shay?
5: Uh the best place to listen to cruel it has to be nighttime let's say driving along a cliffy oceany coast it's not a coast if there's no ocean there so yeah a cliffy coast <laughs> drive at night chilly a chilly evening
0: i would want to listen to cruel in like a smoky dark gay bar but like an abbey or a rage or a motherload kind of gay bar like a really clubby gay bar This is your answer to I'm everything. Sitting in the corner. <laughs> no, I hate those places. <laughs> but I would if Cruel were playing there, then yes, I would go. Mm-hmm. Listen to same, Cruel. same. Can we do that? Can we go to one of
4: those places and just get them to play Cruel? And I imagine the crowd parting and you and I just together take the floor like Romy and Michelle, and we're the only ones dancing to Cruel, <laughs> no. like kind of this circle around us.
0: <laughs> I see us taking the stage more as like the craft where like everybody parts and they're like looking at us like, what are they going to do? Oh, yeah. And we're just like, totally. somehow we have like a platform that just like spins around and we're able to see everybody and we're just like. Oh, my God. I changed my mind. This is my resolution for 2021, making this happen. <laughs> Like dark eye makeup, a smoky eye. We have a smoky eye on and a yes. dark lipstick. And like lace, like black lace. and A choker. Yeah, that's what I see. Every time I close my eyes. Our cruel episode we released on March 11th, 2020. Somebody read this from Goldmine Magazine, May 7th, 1999.
4: You generally use keyboards in different ways. The way you used harpsichord on Professional Widow on Boys for Paley made it sound evil. It possessed a sinister quality that I don't normally associate with that instrument.
5: Well, that's where we go into how instruments are played versus instrument capability. See, instruments are capable of a lot of things depending upon who's playing them. When I'm taking an instrument on board, I completely surrender to it and try to find out as much as I can about it. Its history and where it comes from and how it was used and what was the intention of it being created. I did that with synths. Philly would talk to me a whole lot about synths because he was one of the big cats in the 80s in LA. He had the whole rig going. So we would talk a lot about the synthesizer boom and what had happened. I had them through the 80s, but I stopped playing them just to really understand the acoustic piano as much as I can. And then I took the synth on board this time, maybe because I had taken the harpsichord on board the last time. I felt like I needed to do the other extreme. And by no means have I finished learning from the other medium, the synth medium
0: or the harpsichord medium.
5: I'll probably take the harpsichord on board again.
0: Don't shine me on, Miss Amos. Mm.
5: She did. She used it in Glory of the 80s, right? Hidden?
0: uh, I don't think that's what she meant. She's trying to make it seem like she's going to use it again. Like, maybe another tour.
4: She dangles that in front of us all the time. Do you remember when she was talking about American Doll Posse before we even really knew what the album was going to be? She was like, I'm in that mad scientist stage. I'm putting harpsichords on. I'm
0: taking them off. And we were like, harpsichords? Say more. They never showed up. (laughs) Here's some comments about our cruel episode. These two comments we're going to bring up because they're kind of Similar. So let's first play this voicemail from Emily Cousins that she left on our hotline, which you can call our voicemail and leave us a message about anything you want. 323-296-9955. Emily left us a voicemail about Cruel.
3: Hey guys, I just wanted to add a really interesting thought that you guys made me think. Um, I was listening to the part where you were talking about kind of the songs and art essentially these ideas living out in the ether and, like, artists translating them and, like, grabbing that fish, you know, and you're kind of lucky if you grab that fish first and how it sounds, how you translate it, of course, would be different than somebody else, but that it exists out there and the artist is catching it and translating it. And I was thinking about how another interesting possible idea to go along with this is maybe that thought, that fish doesn't just get translated by one artist it's not just one artist that catches that fish but that fish might be caught by lots of different artists but it may sound different depending on each one translates it so like the cruel fish you know Tori's cruel fish maybe other artists out there caught that same fish and it just sounds different when they translated it, and would that be interesting if you could feel that thread be from other throughout different other artists, this is this making any sense, dear God?
0: And then Gary Guild also wrote us to say, I love how you guys touched on Tori as an interpreter of her songs, co-creator if you will, especially the idea of ideas being out in the ether and if you don't grab it first, somebody else will, or even if you grab it second, it will come out sounding like you and not the other person who grabbed it first. And then I thought of the Cruel episode, and then I thought of Cruel by saying st vincent ever since the very first time i heard cruel by st vincent i thought exactly that both tori and st v grabbed cruel out of the ether and neither sounds like the other though their core is the same similar those two comments from emily and gary i think are very spot on you can grab an idea personally i think you can grab an idea or like a way to discuss a topic like everything this global pandemic has done has inspired certain artists in the same way, right? The inspiration is coming from the same place for a lot of people, but it's, it's filtering mm. differently. What do you think? Do you guys
4: remember, both Tori and Elton John have referenced each other at certain points, and there's a quote where Tori's talking about Elton John, and she says that she's not resentful, but jealous maybe that some of the songs that she thought might have found her found Elton John first. And I'm trying to think of what those might have been, because they couldn't be more different. Like, was Tori going to sing The Bitches Back? Like, what is she referring to exactly? Daniel!
0: Okay, (laughs) maybe. Rocket Man! Rocket Man! tiny dancer oh maybe tiny dancer that's a good song to be jealous of mm. come on tori does a great
5: cover of that one so yeah that could very well be
0: hers yeah to hear what gary Guild is talking about let's play cruel by saint vincent here roll it oliver
1: give the kids for they don't know how to
0: Our third episode of the season, Black Dove January, or Black hyphen Dove January, came out March 18th, 2020. Why don't you read this from Insight Atlanta, December 1998? A lot of people have been saying that, as you've expanded outward both sonically and lyrically, that the music has gotten more dense. Is it something that you've been conscious of, Miss Amos?
5: People were saying that more on Boys for Pele, which is more of a hallucinogenic sort of record anyway. That's really about, I'd say, almost like an ayahuasca journey, which I was doing a lot before then. Well, not a lot, but I'd taken quite a few journeys with this elixir from the Amazon. It's like an 18-hour journey where you have to really go and you don't know where you're going to go. It's an emotional trip that I think takes you into parts of your psyche that, well, shocked me anyway. It's really about facing hidden things in yourself. Paley was really about becoming a woman, and it is symbolic. Choir Girl, I think, is pretty direct, so I don't think that I'm getting more cryptic. I think some works are intentionally symbolic and some aren't as much. So it's not like every work is going farther away from being direct, just that some should be and some shouldn't be.
4: I don't think she really answered the question, because I don't think he's asking her about <laughs> lyrics. He's talking about musically dense. And I would say that's definitely true on Choir Girl, because it's so differently produced with the band and everything that was going on.
5: Well, he said, yeah, he says both sonically and lyrically, but maybe she just wanted an excuse to talk about ayahuasca again.
0: Probably. I've done it a lot, but not a lot. I wonder, though, David, you say the music has gotten more dense from a production standpoint. I mean, Pele, there's a lot going on, but it's very acoustic. Do you qualify dense as electronic? Because to me, Pele is way more dense. The inaccessibility of the harpsichord sound, the structures of a lot of the songs are complicated and completely unique to her. Whereas... I look at Choir Girl as, like, you've got a guitar, a bass, a drum, and a vocalist. Okay. And that is just kind of what you have. That's why I—I mean, I'm willing to hear your side, but I'm just saying. That's how I see it. Thank
4: you for generously being willing to hear my side. I'm willing to have my mind changed.
0: (laughs) I guess I'm thinking more sonically
4: and from a production standpoint as opposed to composition. Let's say, like, when I think dense, I think of that, like, explosive kind of wall of sound, if you will, of IIE. Just say yes, you little arsonist. Like, there's nothing like that on Boys for oh, KI. Yeah. And that's what I yeah, think you're of. Right.
0: I hear you. I hear it, David. I hear it. What about you, Shay?
5: I do actually agree with what David is saying. I think it's a much oh, more dense fine. record than Pele. Even though even though like yeah Pele is dense in itself and it does have so much going on. You think of it as this sparse acoustic I don't know why it is. It's it's that it's that bare tree that has no leaves on it and Choir Girl is just this vast ocean of sound so I don't know. Even though that's no, really right. when you put them on I hear what you're saying too but yeah.
0: No I think that you're both right the idea of a dense forest is a a forest filled with trees and wall to wall on choir girl hotel there's sound mm-hmm. there's not really any nakedness that you would find in like a horses even the horses is really complex structurally right. the sonic sound the the sound of it the music has gotten more dense is what the guy is asking mm-hmm. so fine you win this one you win this round but i'll get you onto venus and back i swear to god <laughs> this is from magical blend january 1999 the interviewer asks, what role do your dreams and intuition play in your music, if any? And Tori Amis responds.
5: I don't really remember everything that I dream about. I used to get into writing it down, but I've lived in England too long. I've become cynical and stopped recording my dreams. With intuition, you're either a tracker or you're not. And I've always tried to improve those skills where you have to think like a Yorkshire Terrier and kind of smell where that little lamb is. You use your toolbox because you've got to know where that two-bar phrase is leading you. You have millions of choices and you've got to know when you've got it right.
0: In the press release for Choir Hotel, you mentioned that the songs came to you in droves. Do you see them as spirit guides that lead you forward as an artist and a person?
5: Well, I've always said that the songs exist independently of me, and I just run into them because of something that has happened. And when I weave a tale, I use language that's on my plate at the time. I think that certain events open windows to other worlds and feelings. Sometimes those are thrilling and joyous events, and sometimes they're not. Certain events really test your mettle and show you a feeling, such as a depth of anger that you didn't know you had. That's when, as a writer, you're working with textures that you might not have had when you were just riding around in your truck eating an ice cream cone.
4: I love how Tori always kind of reverts to sniffing something out when she talks about pinning a song down. And you mentioned horses, and I, sh- I think she specifically went there with horses too. When she's like, "I was feeling Leslie," it's like when you're sniffing out brown sauce and you're like, <laughs> "Yes, Leslie's coming." Mm, so I'm she's Leslie. Yes, mm. so she's always a little Yorkshire terrier.
0: Go ahead, David, read this from Brandon Hellman, who wrote us an email to say, Hey guys, thank you so much for giving us the Choir Girl
4: content that we all need so much right now. Cruel and Black Dove are amazing episodes. Thanks, Brandon. I wanted to share an interpretation of Black Dove that I remember hearing back when Choir Girl first came out that I thought was very interesting and kind of funny. The interp basically says that this song is addressed in part to one of her miscarriages and is talking to the fetus inside of her. The tiny kind of scary house is referring to her womb vagina, and the woods are her pubic hair. I know. Some people, I'm sure, would find this extremely offensive. But I really like this interpretation because it seems like a coded way Tori would use to talk about something that people might not want to confront. Very tongue-in-cheek. Kind of like addressing the turbulent terrain of her womb after multiple miscarriages. Also, the gave away my blue dress always makes me think of the song devil with a blue dress by Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. So when she gives the dress away, she is embracing her devil self, maybe? Just wanted to share these thoughts. Love, 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 Brandon. All right. What do you think about what Brandon has
0: to say?
5: I like that he got David to talk about pubic hair for a second.
0: <laughs> oh, is that what you've been-, been trying for years to get David to talk about I was going to say, is
4: that what we've all been waiting for? Did I have an aversion to talking about it that I wasn't
0: aware of?
5: I could feel the flushed cheek.
0: There are people winning pools right as we speak, David. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad I could do that for all of you then. I knew it would
4: happen on episode 0413. Mm -hmm. If we were all going to characterize our wombs as a kind of house, what would it be? Apparently, (laughs) Tori's is tiny and kind of scary.
5: I'm going to quote Tim and Eric and call mine a spaghetti house.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I think mine would be a hostel. A hostel. A lot of visitors. Everyone is welcome. It's
0: free. (laughs) It's free. Yeah, well, it's not free, but it's kind of cheap. And vaguely European. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) Travelers in, travelers out, never heard from again. Cat Nat commented on our episode on our website to say the following. Go ahead. David. In your line by line, I was low-key losing my mind
4: that neither of you mentioned miscarriage as a central theme in the song. I can't believe that that happened.
0: I can't believe we didn't mention that.
4: I have to go back and listen. Yeah, me too. Where I do think the song is about Tori, especially herself as a child, I also see it very straightforward as a song about the baby she miscarried. And Tori has said that miscarriage was the backbone of the album. This song literally sounds like a lullaby on an album about miscarriage.
0: So now Cat Nat then goes on to add some interpretation. So I'll read the lyrics, David, and you tell us her interpretation okay she was a january girl tori
4: has said she miscarried on christmas i know christmas isn't in january but tori would have been living through that loss in january
0: she never let on how insane it was so many storms not right somehow
4: things wrong with the pregnancy that tori was not aware of that led to the miscarriage
0: in that tiny kind of scary house
4: her uterus and tori if i'm not mistaken has mentioned her endometriosis hence kind of scary You're not a helicopter. You're not a cop-out either. Tori's way of saying, I forgive you for not being what I thought you could be. I forgive you for leaving. You don't need
0: a spaceship. They don't know you've already lived on the other side of the galaxy. The baby was not meant
4: for this world. She's already lived another lifetime, was more otherworldly than Tori and Mark gave her credit for. I'll give away my blue, blue dress. I'll trade anything to make you live. The snakes, they are my kin. Snakes are reptiles. They do not carry their babies. They lay their eggs. There is no apparatus for a snake to carry its offspring. Tori is cruel, doesn't know why, blames herself for the miscarriage. And this starts with her believing she didn't love enough, wasn't warm-blooded enough.
0: This is a quote that supports my hypothesis.
4: The album helped me heal the whole thing because I really feel her presence. She was a little girl. She is a little girl on some plane. And even though I'll never hold her physically, I really do feel her. Some days I miss her because she taught me so
0: much. She taught me more than a lot of people have ever taught me. Just some food for that. I love that. And I don't understand. I, ha- I can't imagine we didn't mention the baby on that episode because, of course, that's all tied in together, but... Maybe we didn't.
4: Yeah. I mean, we were kind of early on in quarantine still. We were out of our minds, maybe. We missed something. So, thank you <laughs> yeah. for pulling this together. I love this, particularly the snakes are my kin idea of reptiles not carrying their children. I really love that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's great. Here's an email from Aaron Marie, who we'll be talking to later on the show. Erin Marie says, Hello, friends. Thanks for allowing me to share my Tory story about one of my top ten Tory songs, Black Dove January. I have loved Tory since Under the Pink came out. I was finally able to afford my first Tory show on the Pele tour in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'll just say it blew my mind. As soon as Choir Girl came available, I was there to snag my copy. When Black Dove January came on, I fell in love. I couldn't believe what I had just heard. It was like she was telling my childhood story, but in a dark fairy tale kind of way. Because you see, I grew up in a small town by the woods, by the woods, by the woods. It's one of those Bible belt towns that will eat you alive i had really scary parents like seriously wild enough said lol to top it off i would have night terrors and sleep paralysis episodes often so sleeping was terrifying i would stay up late and just look out into the vast darkness right outside my bedroom window and wish i could just fly out of that fucking place this song was the first time i saw my situation as an outsider looking in anyway now that i am beep, years old i appreciate it differently it reminds me of where i am from and how far i have flown I felt like I was right there with her, like getting the album, listening to it for the first time, falling in love. And we all have those moments where we feel like Tori is telling our story, right? Yeah. That's why we love her. For sure. Why don't you read this from Declan Phoenix, who wrote us on Twitter to say...
5: Since this was written around the time of the Clinton scandal, I've always thought that the to get to Texas and give away my blue dress line was referencing Monica Lewinsky returning to Texas with her stained blue dress. Is Monica Lewinsky
0: from Texas? I don't know. Is she? I don't know either. Well, I'll do a little Wikipedia search. Alrighty. Talk amongst yourselves, the two of you. Wasn't
5: the Monica Lewinsky thing, wasn't that like 1996? Or no? Declan's probably right. I don't know my political scandals that well. David? I
0: don't either. I don't study them. I create them. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Tripp recorded their conversations in September of 97. So it was like happening okay. right at the time of writing this album. But here it says, Monica Lewinsky is an American activist, television personality, fashion designer, and former White House intern. Can't be an intern forever. President Bill Clinton admitted to having had an affair with Lewinsky while she worked at the White House in 95 through 96. The affair and its repercussions, which included Clinton's impeachment, became known later as the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. She's just been called the Clinton scandal. Here it says, Lewinsky was born in San Fran and grew up in an affluent family in Southern California. So she's not from Texas. In fact, a search for the word Texas on this page brings back nothing. Huh. We're never going to get there. But that blue dress, though, I do sometimes think of Monica Linsky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you?
5: I have never, but I might now. I, I
0: have never and I would <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> that blue dress with its liquid diamonds all over it. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Jaime Robertson wrote us to say, I did
4: not think it was possible to love Black Dove any more than I already do until I started listening to your episode on it. Thank you so much for all the effort you put into these. It warms my dark snakekin soul.
0: Aw, anytime. That message warmed my dark snakekin soul. Where will it end? Well, not quite yet. It won't end quite yet, David, because we have another comment. Black Dove was one of our most commented on episodes, honestly, of all time. And Pete Lambert wrote us to say this. Read this from Tweetar.
5: Secondly, you may not know this, but Tori married a Brit, a geeky one. Tori married a Brit? A geeky one?
0: What?
5: This is news to me.
0: Mm. <laughs> Continue on.
5: He must have seen the BBC Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in 1981, got the VHS, shown her its theme tune and Eagles track and said, do you guys hear what I hear? And then links the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy intro, I'm assuming.
0: Let's play that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy theme song and let's we'll let the audience decide if there's a little bit of Black Dove in there or not. April 8th, 2020, David, we hit the dance community by releasing our episode on Raspberry Swirl. But we, we finally hit the dance club chart. Finally, we cracked the top two Hundi. <laughs> what did you think about doing that episode? I thought that we did
4: not talk about where we should listen to Black Dove.
0: Oh, we didn't. Obviously, in a dark and scary house by the woods, by the woods, by the woods, by the woods. Yeah, like a Hansel and Gretel cottage. Uh-huh. I think we can all agree on that. Unless you have different opinion, let me know. Well... yeah. I feel like
4: my opinion is colored by how Tori talks about wanting the song to sound, which is driving along
0: an icy road with just your headlights oh,
4: illuminating the path in front of you. Mm-hmm.
0: If I could do this without any consequence or any repercussion, I would freeze myself in ice, like in an icy pond looking up. And just to get that experience of what it would be like to be frozen in a block of ice, and then I would have this song playing.
4: Well, let's try it. Okay. It'll be like Flatliners. I'll resuscitate you and bring you back, and you'll have a near-death experience, and some demon will be hanging out on your shoulder. Sounds fun.
0: Bringing people back from the dead, David, is not the only thing you have in common with Julia Roberts. Sure isn't. We both love pizza. Make mine mystic. You both don't know how to eat oysters? <laughs>
4: no, that's escargot. Slippery little suckers.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> And you both reach for the pearl necklace
4: way too soon. Oh, my God. You always get me when I reach for the box and you snap it and I scream.
0: Raspberry Swirl, I recall, being one of my favorite episodes to put together for this season. Because of all the Um, cuddlingus? No, because it was the first time I think that I had listened to, I didn't listen to every Spark. I don't think I listened to every Cruel, but I did did listen to every Raspberry Swirl, Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed myself. Right, right, right. Shay, read this from Columbia House Magazine, Spring 1999. I didn't know they had a magazine, and I hope they don't publish the people who've scammed them, because my name would be all over it. Yeah, they have wanted posters (laughs) in the back of it. Do not serve this man with 10 free CDs.
5: I mean, they sent those adverts. Out to kids that were like 15, 16 years old. What did they expect?
0: Exactly, like how credit card companies, when you're 18, it suddenly inundate you. You have no job. I mean, I know. Usually, <laughs> Columbia House Magazine asked Tori in spring of 1999, "Do you feel successful at this time in your life? What has made you happy?" And she said.
5: I feel challenged. I try to rise up and meet those challenges. Oftentimes, you look at yourself and say, badly done. But sometimes you look at yourself and say, you know, we didn't turn away from this one. Whether you work through something with a friend or with a lover, instead of just running away from it and pretending it didn't happen, I think that when you let the demons come, as they say, or the shadows, there have been things that I knew were about ready to walk through the door, and I would have done anything to not let them come through that door, and yet that's where you really see that we're not in control of our fate. We're in control of our reactions to our fate. But the wolf will show up at your door sometime in your lifetime. And when it does, you can choose if you're going to be devastated by it or not. I choose not to be devastated. I choose to
0: dance. That to me goes back to the idea of being a rubber band girl. Like I know that Kate Bush song where it's like you've got to bend with the wind. I'm starting to think that when she says you've got to dance, it's not so much like you get up and dance like you put on some music and you dance, I think it's like you kind of got to dance with the wolf at the door. You've got to kind of bend, like how she talked about it in Tallulah, that kind of dancing. You kind of just got to get up and like dance. Right. Yeah.
4: You know, this is one of those moments where the poor journalist from Columbia House Magazine was really just wanting her to comment on her chart success. <laughs> and she's like, well... <sighs> let me tell you what I think about fate and the complexity of my personal relationships. And they were like, uh, okay. Oh, <laughs> oh we only reserved a quarter page, yeah. Tori. <laughs>
0: Moving on, here's some comments about Raspberry Swirl. This is from Patrick Booth, who wrote us on Facebook to say, y'all may have tweeted about this, but I don't have Twitter. So in case anyone else didn't clarify, Raspberry Swirl didn't chart on the Hot 100 proper, but the Hot 100 single sales chart, which was solely based on physical sales. While at this time in the Hot 100 history, it was based off of sales and airplay, and they had just passed a rule allowing for songs that hadn't actually been released in physical form, While when Spark and Jackie's Strength were released, a song had to be released physically to qualify for the Hot 100. I'm a chart nerd. Been paying attention to them since 1995. I like that. Didn't you work for Billboard? Oh, you worked for Nielsen.
4: Yeah, but they owned Billboard for a while and worked with them.
0: Do you have any friends there still? Can you get me a Nielsen box? No, they sold off. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, I want to be a Nielsen family. I know. There goes another dream. From the Sonic Net Yahoo chat, we did a question earlier, but this is another question. Someone asks, is the band going to be a permanent change? And Tori says,
5: Nothing is ever a permanent change, not even your hair color. The work has to keep growing and changing constantly. The band is very much about this record and this tour, and I haven't even thought about what comes next. I've tried to start living very much in the present, not to fuse my energies into projects that haven't even been birthed yet. This new baby needs love, feeding, attention, so it's taking up all my time.
0: And then Tori has a final comment in which she states,
5: I'd like to make a request. The sneak preview shows are going to be jammed with people in a very small space. If someone is being pushed and shoved, you have to rally together so that you don't get hurt. And if they are a bad apple, you need to let Joel know. There will be security everywhere. These concerts are not about violence. It is no good to say that you are spiritually growing and you don't want violence, and then you start kicking to get a better seat. However, if someone kicks you, clock them. No victims here, but try to support each other. (laughs) If you've gotten in, that's a huge accomplishment. And let's make it magical. A magical seance. Not a night of brutality. I'm sending my love, and we have many months ahead of us. So if you don't make it to this tour, we'll be back in the summer. Much improved, so you won't have missed much. And that's all.
4: I have so much to say about so much of this. Where do I start?
0: I know, I know. I just wanna say most of the brutality comes from the stage. <laughs> Get out of my show. Get out of here. She throws I shoes. I was gonna say she as pair, water as a
4: pair of shoes goes flying towards your head. <laughs> Okay, but going back, I would like to hear your guys' most violent or unexpected Tory tour experiences, and I'll go first. Mine was in Portland, Oregon, where a pair of girls behind me in the GA section thought I was too tall to be as close as I was, and I was like, I'm sorry, I can't control it. But they were so mad that one of them literally knelt down and tried to set my pants on fire with a lighter.
5: (gasps) Oh, my God. Let me tell you, you have wow. not lived
4: till you fought for your life during a solo performance of Mary. <laughs> oh. During Secret Time, I was like flapping at the, the hem of my pants trying to put out flames. <laughs> like, oh, God, can you hear me? Mary. Did the
5: girls just sit there and watch you do that? Did they try to, like, hide from you? or did they, No, were they, just like, yeah, they weren't I
4: ashamed say- of it. They were trying to get me to move. Wow. And also, they weren't going to get very far. Like, not to not that I should have helped them, but they really needed an accelerant of some kind to get that fire going. When you're talking
0: <laughs> like denim and a lighter, you're not going to get far. Talk about a night of brutality. <laughs> <laughs> I know. My most brutal experience at a Tori Amos concert was in San Antonio, two thousand three, at the Rush. I made it to the very front of the stage, and. She started playing whatever she came back to play. I think it was hotel. And suddenly this guy who was short and stocky and aggressive and hyper straight, he was right behind me and he wanted his girlfriend to be at the barricades. Mm -hmm. He started punching me with his elbow. He started like clocking me in my side to build like a space for his girlfriend to get past me and like held my ground, right? And I started like kind of hitting him back in the middle of this concert. And then he still, he was much stronger than me and he managed to get his girl in front of me, but I hung, I like held on to the barricade. So like, I wouldn't let him come in front of me to get next to his girlfriend because then it's like, mm-hmm. I'm three people back now. So, and Mm. (laughs) she started digging her heel and I was wearing flip flops. She started digging her heel into my toe and just kind of like smashing (gasps) my toe with her shoe. So I Uh. had no choice, but to like, let her boyfriend come in front of me. So anyway, that was like, what about you Shay? Did you sustain permanent toe damage? I
5: I know (laughs) it's these meatheads don't belong there.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
4: I cute, actually
5: though. don't have any ex- bad experiences. I haven't really toured extensively to be, you know, to have many opportunities to have bad experiences or stories. So yeah, I mean, I've only ever been to shows here in the Bay Area, and each one has been a really beautiful experience. So s- I don't
0: mm. have any of those. You've never been beaten up at a Tori Amos show?
5: Well, it's the price you got to pay for going to every single show on every <laughs> single tour, right? I wish. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could have dis- I wish I could say that.
0: You're gonna get beaten up every once in a while. No big deal. <laughs>
4: Do you think you either die the hero or live long enough to become the villain? Are we going to become the concert aggressors <laughs> next to our Eve, where we turn the tables no. and try to elbow our way to the front? Okay.
0: Unless, if by aggressor you mean like too old and tired to get up. Yes, then maybe. I know, right? <laughs> you don't think we're going to be like, she's playing Circle of Seasons. Move. <laughs> get out. not out a the performance of Holly. <laughs> Circle um, of Seasons. <laughs> I think this final comment about stop kicking people to get a better seat should have been told to some of our friends. No kidding. Uh, so before I move to Jackie's strength, I want to know where the most perfect place to listen to Raspberry Swirl would be for you. Can I go? Yeah. In a pink berry during a power
4: outage. And when the lights come back on, I'm doing the soft serve and dancing to Raspberry Swirl. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs>
5: You had that answer way too easily accessible. I mean, have you actually done this? thought about it
0: for 23 years, Shay. (laughs) I wish. Uh, What about you?
5: I would listen to Raspberry Swirl on a dance floor, obviously. Boring and obvious, but that's where I am.
0: I would want to be on the back of a motorcycle driven by a really hot man. (laughs) Not driven by a really hot woman?
5: Nah.
7: (laughs) Meh.
4: I can imagine you being like spirited away by Tignataro and you're like holding on to her for <laughs> dear life, singing Raspberry Swirl.
0: <laughs> Hold me, Tig. Don't let me go. <laughs> Tig time sensuality. On April 15th, 2020, we released our fifth episode of the season, Jackie Strength. And this is from Details, August 1998. She says, I was a musician before I realized I was female, before I was a girl, Tori says. Another key moment came around age 8 when she realized something else fundamental by watching David Cassidy on The Partridge Family. Well, I knew I wasn't a lesbian. I figured that out. But then I moved to Robert Plant. Nothing against David. I mean, you gotta give it up to David. He really did affect a lot of people, and he did what he did very well. Isn't this life's biggest turmoil, is that David is perfectly great, but you want a Robert Plant. Poor the good guys. We always want a bad boy. Was your husband a bad boy when you met him?
5: I mean, if you were to ask certain people, probably, they would say he was a bad boy. But no, he's a, he's a good guy with a bad boy image. Uh, that's
0: what I really want, a good guy with a bad boy image. Yeah,
5: that's what he's got.
0: Why don't you read the Shay from TV Guide online chat, August 5th, 1998. Stuperfly asks, Tori, how accurately do you feel your videos depict the songs they represent? Do you view them as independent entities or elaborations of each other?
5: Well, I'm really happy with the videos for the new record. I spent a lot of time with the directors talking about the songs themselves, and I let the directors take the ball and run with it. James Brown directed Spark and Jackie Strength. Jackie's Strength is just being released now as we speak. It will be available on the Enhanced CD coming out in stores in a couple weeks, and you should be able to see it on the box in a couple weeks. Jackie Strength is in black and white, and it's me on my wedding day getting lost. So it's kind of a parallel to my life, if that makes any sense. I am in the back of the taxi in my wedding dress, not able to quite go through with it. I pass the boy I'm supposed to marry at the church, and I hide in the back of the cab like a wimp. But you can see I'm torn because my whole life is flashing in front of me, and I run into myself as a 13-year-old girl, which took a lot of hair and makeup. And that 13-year-old girl is reminding me that we had a dream, and the characters, the bride and the taxi, forgot. Even though I think she loves this boy, she didn't follow her heart. You know, she never took that trip to Australia, she never took that art class, she never followed up on her dreams, and she just can't get married and close the blinds. So, it's very emotional this video because she does love him. I believe that.
0: I do love that video. I was
5: just going to say I never realized until reading this quote that she she was being a 13-year-old Tory. I thought maybe like okay, yeah, maybe in her early 20s or something, but never yeah. 13.
0: Oh, I thought fifteen, sixteen. I was okay. being generous. But I do <laughs> prefer that they didn't cast like a young girl or someone different. I liked having Tori meet Tori.
5: Yeah, agreed.
0: David, read this from Alicia Fields, who wrote us to say... Yet again, another great show.
4: I love that live version where Tori plays a solo intro of Josephine and weaves it back into Jackie's strength. Musically brilliant. What an interesting connection to The Wives of Tragic Rulers. I will have to listen back to find what show that was. Maybe you can comment on that connection in the wrap-up. What do you think? I never made that connection. The wives of Napoleon and Kennedy. Mm, that is a very Tory thing to do. That makes sense to me
0: for yes. sure. I'd want to do the research to see if she plays Jackie strength every time she's in Washington, D.C. Mm. Wouldn't surprise me. Beautifully observant Alicia. I think that's a great comment, an astute observation, and thank you for writing in. Laura Crum slid into our DMs to say, Just listening to Jackie's
4: strength. I skipped it. I'm the worst. When you were talking about virgins getting backstage, I think after you're married, you can't really play the virgin anymore. You can't be that or play that role when you're married to get backstage or at bars for free drinks. You're attached. Now, I'm aware of how problematic this statement is, but it's a truth for men and women. If they know you're married, there's a shift in how people react to you sometimes. Just my thoughts could be super wrong. I'll never stop playing the Virgin Mary. Me either. (laughs) I played the Virgin Mary in my own Christmas pageant this year. Did you really? Yeah, it was a quarantine
0: Christmas pageant. Who else was I going to cast? Beautiful. (laughs) Did you play the three wise men as well and the baby Jesus? Yes, I sure did. (laughs) And the angel, the shepherds. That's a schizophrenic one-man show I can't wait to see. I was an
4: adorable sheep in a
0: onesie just like Tori on the voodoo cover. I would expect nothing less from you, David. (laughs) Where's the perfect place to listen to Jackie's strength? For me, I choose a 7-Eleven in a parking lot, sipping a Slurpee. Mm-hmm.
5: Let's all just do that together. I think that's a perfect place.
0: Okay, I guess the real question is what flavor Slurpee would you get? Mm, Diet Pepsi. Cherry, duh. I'm going with anything blueberry or raspberry. Uh. <laughs> On May 27, 2020, we released our sixth episode of the season, IIE. Go ahead and read this from Details Magazine, David. August 1998. The reporter asks, it sounds like the songs are full of self-blame. And Tori says-
4: There's a level of that. There's many levels to it. There's also a level of saying, I don't wanna face loss. I just don't wanna take the chance. If you love someone, you're going to lose them at a certain time. You have to accept that Sorrow will be there. You better make real good friends with her because she's gonna be there, especially as you get older. And after a while, Sorrow becomes the deepest part of the ocean. You know, there are times that Sorrow tells the dirtiest jokes.
0: Sorrow tells the dirtiest jokes? That's a fantastic concept. She
4: really does. I think Joy can be really snotty sometimes,
0: too. I think she says, everybody wants me. I'm the belle of the ball. Emily Cousins wrote us to say, hi, Ethan and David. I am sending a link to a dance performance I did to IIE. If you decide, I would be more than honored for it to be posted in the related content for the song on your website. So there it is on our show notes page, songsoftremes.com. We have our show notes there, and you can see Emily Cousins' dance video. And here's something that Emily has to say about this
8: video. Hey, everyone. Emily Cousins here. I am sure that many of you, like me, have taken every possible opportunity to add Tori Amos to our lives and our projects. One area that I was able to do that is dance. I studied and performed Middle Eastern dance for about eight years. My teachers usually required us, very appropriately of course, to use traditional Middle Eastern music for our performances. However, there was one notable exception every year for our Halloween shows, where we were allowed to go off the rails and just dance to whatever music we wanted. Enter Tori! IIE was a very obvious choice for me. I've always loved the song, and it contains so many interesting percussive and rhythm qualities that I knew would be really fun to accentuate with movement. A link to the performance is on the IIE show notes at songsoftoryemis.com if you would like to check it out. I did the choreography, performance, and I also designed and created the bra and belt that I'm wearing, although they're a little hard to see on the video. The experience of being able to co-create with IIE keeps it very near and dear to my heart, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you.
0: Here's an email from John DeLamar. Go ahead and read this, David hi guys i'm so thrilled that y'all have made it to choir girl and that you're staying
4: safe and healthy through this pandemic i've been drawn to Tori storytellers performance of IIE and the story of the boy in the car we are literally living in a bad justin hoffman killer virus movie at the moment i find it truly interesting that this song is the only fire song in an album that for all intents and purposes is submerged i've always pictured the choir girl hotel set in a deep and waterlogged world where the girls are creatures from the depths until we get to iie This is the one girl who says, fuck it, let's burn this whole place to the ground. And this song is the heart and spine of the album. It is the connective tissue to Pele, the one song that bridges the two albums of pain together because the first four albums can and must be broken into self-exploration and pain. I also wanted to hop back to Spark for one second. The line, trusting my soul to the ice cream assassin makes me think Father Lucifer and Tori saying that she realized that the devil drives an ice cream truck. The idea being that she is literally trying any and all means of survival or explanation for the circus we're in and placing her fate in the hands of God. God slash Jesus, who would be the ice cream assassin, as well as the undivine master plan, Judas. Oh, one last thing. Black Dove January
0: would be played by Mary Louise Parker. Best, John. That's a really interesting observation because she does mention being an arsonist. She talks about fire, sitting around a campfire even. And this is a water album, right? So that kind of does stick out in that way and it never occurred to me before you are right but as we discussed on the
4: album we know that this song was born during the pele era because she was sound checking parts of it
0: during Dewdrop drop in so it makes sense that the fire would creep in yeah Ooh, i love the idea of the, this and of course cruel are the connective tissue mm-hmm. and i love that phrase connective tissue tissue speaking of connective tissue where would you listen to iie if you could connectively tissue this in the perfect place of the world
5: I think I would like to listen to it in the Pele Church. (gasps) All the echoes and acoustics.
4: I always see commercials on TV for Sonic, meaning Sonic Burger, and I don't know where we even have them. But I think they're like in the Inland Empire in the desert. So I want to listen to IE while driving into the desert to find a Sonic.
5: so funny, my husband and I see the same commercials and we say the same thing, where are yeah, these Sonic burgers? Yeah, I've never there's seen one. of them here. I've never seen one when I've driven down to LA, <laughs> so good luck with your little IE adventure okay. because <laughs> I don't know if there's any up there in the middle of the state either.
0: <laughs> um, there is a Sonic in Riverside, it is about okay. 25 minutes away, no traffic, and <laughs> you can go there anytime with me, David. I have made trips specifically to go to the Sonic really? because nothing hits like a strawberry slush from Sonic. Mm. Nothing. So you got to go to the Sonic to get your fresh strawberry slush and your corn dog. This is
4: beautiful. This will be like a food exchange. I introduced you to Sizzler and you introduced me to Sonic. You
0: didn't introduce me to Sizzler.
4: Well, kind of. You turned your nose up
0: at it. No, you uh-huh. didn't. Not that you didn't know it existed, but... You introduced me to eating at Sizzler with no shame. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, you right. That's what it was. Yeah. I'd always had a thing against buffets mm-hmm. prior. Now I've gone hog wild. Yeah, just in time for the global pandemic,
4: after which we'll never have buffets again. Sorry. Oh, you think that's true? Yeah. Yes.
5: Probably.
0: On the line, we have Erin Marie. She is a roller derby star and a huge Tori Amos (laughs) fan. And she wrote us to talk to us about her thoughts on IIE. But before we get into it, Erin Marie, I want to hear your Tori story. I want to know how you discovered Tori Amos. Tell us everything. Oh, my
2: goodness. My Tori story is in 94, I was like a freshman in high school. I had a really good friend named Cherish. She was stunningly beautiful, and she was really cool and her dad worked at a, um, a local record store, and so she was like savvy about music. And she introduced me to Tori Amos right away under the things just been released. So um, I got to listen to that with her fresh off the release, you know? And so that was pretty cool. And um, I fell in love with a lot of songs. Growing up Christian Baptist, I just fell in love with God. And I had been abused when I was a kid, so I really related to me and a gun. And I just kind of came up upset at this point.
0: I love that you called Cherish Savvy because there was a time when, I mean, Little Earthquakes and Under the Pink were unlike anything else out there. Like nothing else yes. was like this. And so you were cool if you knew these albums. And, uh-huh. like, you know, you, yeah. it was like you gauged someone's cool factor or their savvy based on if you knew this music. Yeah, I love that.
2: And I was from a small town in Catoosa, Oklahoma, where we didn't get this kind of music. And it was just truly eye-opening to me, and it spoke to me like something that had never spoke to me before. You know, my parents were hippies, and they played Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin my whole life, and so, you know, we had that kind of common element of love of that kind of 70s rock. And so the first time I got to see Tori was in Tulsa, Oklahoma for the Dew Drop In Tour um, with Trish, which was amazing. It was on November 2nd, 1996. And she did the food gasm skit, um, <laughs> which was so fun and, and hilarious. And uh, she was amazing, and I cried. And it was, you know, one of those bonding moments with me and Cherish at that time. She was like the only person that felt it with me, you know. And-
0: Let's play food gasm right now for the people who don't know what you're talking about. Roll it, Oliver. <laughs>
1: to take you home with me but I'm homeless.
0: No, that was seven nights to the day before I saw Tori Amos for the first time. Really? Yeah. I saw her in Albuquerque on November 9th.
2: Oh I oh, moved there yet. Um I, I have a later Albuquerque story on my fourth show. Um the second show I saw with Tori was from the Quager Hotel, the ninety eight plug tour in Norman, Oklahoma.
0: Okay, good show.
2: August twenty ninth, uh, nineteen ninety eight. Um, she played IIE, and I literally lost my shit.
0: <laughs> Where did it go?
2: I was beside myself. And so then the third time I saw her was right after that. I saw her in Tulsa, October 6, 1998. This was the second time I went went to a Tori Amos show with Cherish. And she did IIE again. So I saw that song twice and I about died. Fast forward to the fourth time that I saw Tori. Sadly, it was just. A few tours later, I had gone through some things. I'd gotten married and and had a kid and all the things. And um, I was starting art school and all that. And I'd moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I saw her, the Scarlet Walk tour. And I know that you were there with me, If I didn't know that at the time, of course. I had went alone. I was new to the town, and I, I didn't know EWS existed, and <laughs> I was just kind of like, I win, you know, and I was really close to the stage, and I held up a painting I did, but I wasn't able to give it to her, and I was sad, but she ended up playing I.I.E., the last song before the encore. With your ease and
1: your ease and I'll do more.
2: And that was sadly the last time I ever saw Tori, but... Um, oh, no. And I've never got to meet her, and it's like a huge regret that I've had. Oh, forever. no. I know. I'm so late to the party, Eve, so I've got to be there next time this all goes around. So, yeah, go the
0: 2021 tour is your year.
2: Yes. I'm in it. I'm in it. My kid's 21 now, and <laughs> I can do all the things. And since I broke myself and there's no Derby, I can do the thing.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Wait, so now tell us why IIE is your love, and tell us everything that we don't know.
2: Okay, well, when I first listened to it, I loved it due to its creepy sweat lodge vibe. Um, At the time, I was a teenager, um, and I'd done a lot of mushrooms, and at one point in my childhood, I'd lived on an Indian reservation, a Navajo Indian reservation, and it just kind of invoked that ceremonial, tribal feeling and I was like, what is this song? You know, and I had already loved the other songs coming up to it, you know, uh, Spark and Cruel and Black Devon, They just kept building and I was just like, oh my god, I, I, E, what the fuck? And um, it was so different from, you know, her norm, and it always felt so heavy and, like, deep. Even though at the time in 98, I wasn't quite a mother. yet, I, I had my kid in 99, but I didn't grasp what it was really about. I just, I captured, I felt the mood, and I really sought music that was deep like that, and that's why I loved her so much. So the entire album kind of felt like that to me, like, you're kind of sick and waiting and water and heavy and like liquid and it feels like you're in the womb and like you're the baby listening you know like what you would hear in a womb and like i know that you know she was going through all of that turmoil and grief with losing the baby and it just it just really hit me and it was just such a i don't know just such a beautiful representation and a different aspect of hearing music
0: you said two things you said that sweat lodge vibe which is perfect how you describe that and then second you also mentioned it sounds like you're in the womb and that's also Uh perfect i feel like those are great ways to describe this album and perfect so well done (laughs)
2: thank you thank you When I was listening to the line-by-lines with you guys, I was like, oh, oh, you know, and I really related to a lot of the things that you said. I think, you know, everything has so many layers to her music, you know, the reality versus, like, the vision quest that she goes on, you know, and there's so many layers. And so, like, each verse, I think, kind of tells a story, so it all kind of circles back and connects together in the end. You know, you can put your own interpretation, but you can also really see what she's saying if you if you decode it, you know, and yeah. I think you guys did such a good job in your decoding of it. it was So eye opening and so fun. And I really appreciate your podcast because it's really gotten me through this quarantine. <laughs> I swear it's just like a breath of fresh air.
0: Hey, it's gotten us through this quarantine, too. So now I have a question for you. You've like we're asking each other on this episode, where is the perfect place to listen to I.I.E? Anywhere in the world, anytime, Where would be the ideal place to listen to this song for you?
2: Oh, for me? Oh, my God. It is in Kirtland, New Mexico, in a trailer park where I lived whenever I was three years old. And it would be right there in that Navajo Indian Reservation. It would be there with my parents and the bonfire and the whole bit. I think I would circle it all back around.
0: That sounds so peaceful, but also spiritual. Yeah, it sounds everything. It sounds like everything. (laughs) Erin Marie, this has been wonderful. Please follow Erin Marie. You can find her on Instagram at Erin Marie or on Facebook at Erin Marie. Thank you. This has been amazing. And I love talking to my New Mexico peeps.
2: Yay, 505, baby. Thank you. Okay. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye. That was, of course, a small part of a longer interview, which you can find on our Patreon, patreon.com songs of Tori Amos. Head over there. Erin Marie gives us her insights on certain lyrics, certain themes in the song. It's a really great interview, and you can find it there now.
1: With your ease and your ease and I'll do more.
0: Our seventh episode of the season, Liquid Diamonds, came out. She was a summer bride. June 24th, 2020. Our all-female episode, our three female co-hosts and we women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was fun to do yeah it sure was if
4: we hadn't earned our lady cards up until that point we certainly did we certainly grew sympathy vaginas
0: Mm -hmm. i didn't grow mine i dug mine out (laughs) i uncovered (laughs) mine yes that's better thank you before we forget where is the perfect place to listen to liquid diamonds if Mm. you could i mean i was gonna save this for pandora but i would want to be like in the bottom of a dark blue pool of water surrendering Shay.
5: I would want to be on like a rocket ship to another galaxy. Mm. That sound in my ears.
4: David? I want to be in a hot tub at night outside under the stars eating clear jello. That just seems
0: really decadent to me. <laughs> Is that a thing? I don't know. That's
5: so liquid diamond-y of you.
0: <laughs> it should be. <laughs> From Alternative Press, July 1998, Tori says, On this record, I really spent time with Sorrow, and I realized that she's got a shoe collection, too. She can tell jokes like nobody. Her view isn't always about tears, but she knows tears. She understands them, but she's really comfortable putting her feet on the dock with me in the water, looking at the jellyfish and finding the beauty. I think in the end, this record is very much about dancing with Sorrow. It must be really
4: annoying for Sorrow to have such a bitchin' shoe collection, and then when she hangs out with Tori, she has to take him off to dangle her
0: feet on the side of the dock. Good point. (laughs) It's like, no, but my shoes. Ah! (laughs) Red Baron wrote us on Twitter to say,
5: Another brilliant episode, guys. Amazing. Uh But you forgot, Not the Red Baron and Sister Named Desire were fade-ins, too. Keep up the good work.
4: Hmm. Well, you might say someone with the Twitter handle Red Baron has some skin in this game
0: (laughs) to point that out to us. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Yes. Always looking out for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She's Your Cocaine, released July 8th, 2020. Another Summer Bride where would you listen to she's your cocaine
5: in a dark back room of a club with like 10 lines laid out in front of me but i just blow it i blow it all off the table
4: speaking <sighs> of, i don't need that cocaine co- speaking <laughs> of a moment where that answer came very quickly shay <laughs> i would listen to it in the bathroom at a whole concert why would you go to a whole concert? <laughs> I've actually seen Hole several times when they played with Marilyn Manson. And two Brute? I know, right?
0: Courtney Love shoved her guitar oh. in my face. I was offended that Hole came in two albums above Tory on the 1998 Rolling Stone album charts. So offended that I didn't even mention it. Mm-hmm. I won't say that band's name, I won't say the word Hole. <laughs> Makes sex very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> What do you say instead?
5: Um, (laughs) I'd like to know too, (laughs) Evelyn.
0: Ever since you've left my apartment, there's a vacancy in my heart. You know that's Mm -hmm. not what he meant. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you read this from Rolling Stone Online, August 8th, 1998. Almost 22 years to the day before we put out our episode. Hmm. I think a lot of people listen to your songs and think that they're all autobiographical.
4: And it sounds like a lot of them probably aren't.
0: How would you know? How would he know? Honestly, how would this person know? Seriously, (laughs) I don't think you've been through the experiences you write about.
4: Tori
5: says, well, it's both. I think it has to be both. If you're going to purge other people, you have to purge yourself. It's tricky to sneak in an all access code to somebody else's psyche. You have to knock first with yourself. Even though I think nobody has complete access to their own psyche. Well, you do have the right to plunder yourself. So I'm in a lot of my material, but I might not necessarily be the character you think I am. I let you think I'm the good guy just because people like to think of me as the good guy. Though sometimes I'm the villain.
4: Can we think of a moment where Tori is not the character in the song that we think she is?
0: Yes. Tell me. Pass the mission. Who is she? She's the hot girl. We didn't know that? <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Pretty good year. She's the omniscient observer. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Lucy. Yeah. She's Lucy. What if she's not Scarlet at all? What if she's crazy? What if she's Amber Waves? Hmm. What if she needs the help? And so she's created a character, Scarlet, to come help her. Round and round she goes. I like that. I like this idea. I think that as Tori has grown up or as she's gotten older or had sort of a completely settled life, she has a husband, she has a child, she's, you know, presumably in a lot less turmoil than she was in her 20s and 30s. Since then, I think that her writing has expanded outward and she's maybe even not in the songs anymore all of the time. Mm. Obviously, her perspective and her musicianship and her talent create the songs, but maybe she's not in them as character. Do you think there's any world in which Tori is, in fact, the Ahushi Woman? No, no. I have a very specific thought on huchi Woman. Tell me. I'll tell you when we get there next year. Joe Olson wrote us on Facebook to say, I remember
4: in 2007, she told Pink is the New Blog that Cheezer Cocaine is not one of her favorite songs, but that she found a way back into it via one of the dolls. Has always stuck with me, like with Amy Lee. She said she hated my immortal, but less devastating.
0: (laughs) Beautifully read, David. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, moving on. On September 30th, 2020... We released our ninth episode this season, Northern Lad. And here is a little thing we didn't include. I can't believe we didn't include this. This is from the VH1 Storytellers taping, October 24th, 1998. She performed this song, but did not. it did not air. And the quote before that is, she says, Now I work with an all English crew, and they are always telling me that I speak American, and therefore I am not always clear. But I wanted to write this person a song to tell him that he was just jelly beans to me. And then she played Northern Land. So obviously she's talking about her husband. But what this made me think of is back on the rain VHS tape when she says, I hurt myself today to find a jelly bean. Mm. So if she's thinking that he's jelly beans to her, I wonder if she went through all of this to find a jelly bean. She went through all of this and came out on the other side with Mark. And now I'll never be able to hear that version of the hurt improv without thinking of Mark. I think you're on to something. Maybe
4: some variation of bean is always just a term of endearment for Tori. Beanie was already taken, so Mark became Jelly Beanie. Right. (laughs) John Delamar wrote us back to say... I wanted to shoot out this email because after hearing Shay's theory about cars and guitars being a song sister of Northern Lad, I got to think, a dangerous pastime, I know, and I came up with this. The reason Northern Lad is so morose, sounding more breakup than Love Song, and about Mark is that it is, in fact, not about Mark and is all about Mark. Hear me out. The song is actually about Eric Ross, written and sung from her current relationship with Mark. It's a present tense person telling a past tense narrative about the path that brought her to the present. First, Eric really is... Is a northern lad. He is from Chicago. Well, that is technically the Midwest. This is as tenuous as noun v verb. To a southern girl like Tori, Chicago is the North. I'm originally from Georgia, and I can need red string? I need a map? Seriously, I'm originally from Georgia, and I can attest to this sentiment. Eric probably did like Tori's quirky, southerny accent, but more importantly, he liked the way she spoke musically. Her sonic accent. Her sonic accent. Her sonic accent. accent. God, it all goes back to Sonic. Uh, I wish I could go back to Sonic. (laughs) I need a slush. Second, the line It gets so fucking cold, is a direct line to Pele. It's cold because when the relationship began to deteriorate he took her fire thus prompting her to descend into the underworld of pele she was looking for heat from other men to replace that which had been lost withheld thirdly when pianos try to be guitars is the influence that mark had it is tori transitioning from eric a literal pianist to mark a literal guitarist in the relationship she went too far by going for mark which leads directly being wet when it rains. Eric no longer does it for her. We all know she has a thing for guitars and rock and hair. Zeppelin. I mean, she said she wanted to have an affair with her engineer. Fourthly, she feels the West in Eric, and she feels that falling apart because she is leaving behind the West to move to England. Eric is LA and New Mexico for her. She went to the South for Pele, and eventually to England with her guitar man. Finally... Tori is never overly clear when she speaks about the songs, right? That's an understatement. When she says that this song is about Mark, I think we have to look at the song from a slant and not straight on. Hop on one leg and squint your eyes when you look at this song. When we bend Northern Lad just a fraction, when we follow the song line, we see it is about Mark, of course, but in an obscure way. The text of Northern Lad is all Eric, and it becomes about Mark when the song's narrator cries. If you can see me now because that her is the future her who is in England, who has gone for the guitar man. So, so sorry for the absurd length of this email, but but quarantine leads to lots of thinking and lots of endless blathering about all things Tory. My poor husband has to listen to me drone on, and I'm sure he's happy to have a break. Can't wait for the next episode. Hope you're both safe and well. Best, John.
5: I've thought to myself in the past, like, wow. I really give a lot of bandwidth to these songs still. I'm in my (laughs) early 40s now. This is ridiculous. I put so much thought into where I think they are. But now listening and hearing this email from John, I'm like, I don't really do it that much. John has really
0: put some (laughs) thought into this. John's good. John has put some thought into this. Now, Shay, remind us what your theory was, your cars and guitars theory.
5: Well, they're sisters, and I believe that they were separated at birth, these twins, and uh, I don't want to get into every little detail <laughs> again. You can go back and listen to Northern Loud yeah, if you want to hear it's that, preserved but, forever. Um, they both have really bad relationships and they handle them differently. <laughs>
0: John's not the only one to put thought into things. Andrea Adams also wrote us to say,
5: I've always thought molasses was in reference to her being slow to figure out how into him she actually was. Sorry, just now listening and had to say it before I forgot. That's
0: cute. I like that. Yeah, me and my molasses, me and my pussy footin' around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, good thing you waited.
4: If you were going to choose a food to embody your ability to make realizations, (laughs) what would it be? Coconut. (laughs) Like she's saying here, "Mm, exotic once
0: again. So tropical, always. I would say coconut because as a coconut breaks open, so does your realization, like you suddenly realize something, like a coconut's been split open. That's beautiful. <gasps> I see.
5: Okay, if you're thinking about it that way, I think my answer would be onion.
0: Ooh, mm. like a peels, like a blossom.
5: Yeah, layers, yeah. Mm.
0: Speaking of ridiculous questions, where would be the perfect place in the world to listen to Northern Lad? <laughs> I'm gonna say the obvious in a rainstorm splashing in puddles.
5: Okay. That's
0: good. Oh, no, no, wait. Not splashing in puddles because I'm sad. In a rainstorm, crying, but no one can tell I'm crying because I'm wet anyway. That's how it would be. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say in a record
4: store in the 70s with the smell of patchouli and incense burning. Really? Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like hippies? Yeah, it does. Or just like 70s (laughs) singer-songwriter. Northern lad? Yes. I said what what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Choir girl? Strong black vine?
5: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go obvious in a different way and say the shores of Juneau, Alaska. (laughs) Very gray. I've been there. It was gray that day.
0: Now that to me is exotic. I want to go to Alaska. It's really beautiful. Me too. I want to do that also. Exotic, exotic, Alaska, Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) Put your hands all over my body. Don't make me ask you. Ooh, it's cold. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Then we released three episodes back to back to back within 10 days of each other in December 2020. The first of which was the magnificent, and I'm talking like in terms of size episode, Hotel, released December 13th, 2020. That is, of course, my number one favorite song. And John wrote us back to say, why don't you read this again from John? David? I, of course, have a few thoughts. I've always seen the song as a
4: set piece, like tea set up in the middle of a busy, posh, old hotel restaurant with a big glass of wine waiting as each of her former loves comes in and has a chat. They all
0: come, Eric, Anthony Kiedis. She's like the godfather. She's like the godfather of loves. Yes. She's like, send in the high school prom date. Send in Kiedis. <laughs> we speak
4: your name. They all come, Eric, Anthony Kiedis, Billy, even Michael Stike. It's a revolving door of men dropping in to say their goodbyes to the wild Tory and hello to the married Tory. The only one missing is Trent. Bear with me. I appreciate that you all thought Eric was the missing lover, but I think with Northern Lad, she's cleared the Eric space and made way for Mark. I mean, wait,
0: wait, 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 wait! You're telling me that she's cleared the Eric space, but not the Trent space. But anyway, continue.
4: Okay, the piano basis and the gut wrenching heart of Northern Lad could only be about deep, painful love—a love that is only matched by husbands' capital H love. Hotel, on the other hand, with its techno sound, its aggressive attack on the ears, reminds me so much of what a Tory Trent collaboration would sound like. It's as if Nine Inch Nails scored the track. Also. Tori has always talked about Trent being lost, about his being too big of a star for himself and not allowing other space in his orbit. Has she? Also, and I'm going out on a limb here, I think she and Trent probably did meet in a hotel. I think he was the one she flew hours to see, then flew right back, If there was a Trent love affair, it would have been her crashing down, her running from Eric, her giving in to her wilder side. In the end, Hotel may just be a way for her to acknowledge that she had to go through this to get there, that with the help of the Velvets, she can forget the once wild ride she had with Trent and move into her marriage with Mark because Trent not showing up to the lunch tells her everything she needs to know, and that is
0: she needs more. Just some long rambles. Interesting. I have a recollection that we did mention he who shall not be named. Of course we did. In that episode, yeah. That was my recollection. So good, John, and he always signs it John Little Baker Baker, which I think we should start signing our emails with our former screen names from Tory communities, like eFriend (parentheses) Space Person. What would yours be, David? You know what it is. You're just trying to get me to say it. What? David, just say
4: it again. David. What was it? I can't remember. David (parentheses) Eternal Fat Man. Footman. Fat man. Eternal. <laughs> Eternal footman, footman,
0: footman, (laughs) the eternal footman. (laughs) I can't believe you didn't quality control that screen name before you went with it. I was too
4: excited to get on AOL for the first time and I just had to type (laughs) something in. Okay. I was like, accept,
0: not taken. Good. I had waited 15 minutes for it to come on. Yes. Web crawler, Tori Amos. Chris Gray wrote us to say, why don't you read this, Shay?
5: Amazing hotel episode, guys. When you got to the Exit 75 lyric, I had a gut feeling, and this may be a reach, but looking on the map, if you are driving north from Santa Fe, Highway 76 to Trujas, then take Exit 75 and follow the 75 and the 518 up the high road to Taos, maybe...
0: We did mention this, I think, on the Playboy Mommy episode, because I was so excited about this fact that if you go off, if you take exit 75, you can get to Taos. And it kind of clued me in onto like a piece of the song that may have been written sooner. I just wanted to read it again, because I'm so excited and enthused about it. Mm.
5: So many maps and places in the Tory lore. It's just so great to be able to find something that's tangible
0: and real (laughs) in
5: a real place. You know what I
0: mean? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like you can link it back. Yeah. Where would you listen to Hotel, like the perfect place?
5: I'm going to go literal and say the Madonna Inn. I don't I don't know if either one of you have ever been to the Madonna Inn I in San Luis Obispo. I want to go Bispo. to the Madonna
0: Inn so bad in San Luis Obispo. It's oh my god.
5: So beautiful. I've been there once and the room we stayed in was amazing. So in any room really. If you look at their brochure, any room is straight from like the 60s. Every piece of furniture, every piece of art is like so true to the time and it's beautiful. And I just want to sit by a fireplace at the
0: Madonna Inn and And drink hot cocoa and listen to Hotel. Mm. The wonderful other Pete wrote us on Twitter to say...
5: Also, I always love the archive forum posts. I'm totally with the poster making the lollipop guild but Nazi-esque observation. Hotel takes me to Cold War West Berlin sometimes. The ending can lead to the Spark B-sides. Last stop on the
0: Kurfstendam. (laughs) Kurfstendam.
5: Kurfürstendamm. Last stop on the (laughs) Kurfürstendamm.
0: I know because I took German for four years in high school. Thank you.
5: Uh, Pete goes on to say, A magnificent epic of an episode. You really did this monster proud. I love Hotel so much because it's a different story every time I play it. The M and the him and the me all become
0: different characters. I love it. Did you say, David, where the perfect place to listen to this would be? No, I
4: didn't. Do you guys know about that creepy clown motel in Nevada? Like in the middle of nowhere? It's like a creepy clown theme hotel that looks like it's been there forever. That's where I would listen to it. A, because it's a hotel slash motel, but my dating history is nothing if not a cavalcade of clowns.
0: (laughs) I would not listen to this in a hotel. I would actually listen to this as I have just jumped out of a plane and waiting for the parachute to open. I can imagine you
4: in a jumpsuit with goggles on, jumping out of the side of a plane. Give me more. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'd scream as I jumped out of the plane Give with me your more. your cheeks flapping, like when you see videos of people <laughs> skydiving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <We're> the <rabbits>. <laughs> Yes. <laughs>
5: Imagine the gaping mouth of air <laughs> it's flowing
0: That's the only way I can hit the notes <laughs> Yeah, One, a two, a one, two,
5: three
0: On the line we are thrilled to have Al Perkins Storied guitarist who has worked with some of the greats Including Dolly Parton, Emmylou Harris And of course our heroine Tori Amos Hi Al Hey you guys Thank you so much for doing this. How are you today? We're
7: doing fine. It's a sunny day here in Tennessee, and uh, and we ducked the snowstorm,
0: so we're doing fine. So, you are one of the greatest steel guitarists, I hear, working in the industry. I want to hear how you discovered, A, your own musicianship, B, your love of the guitar, and then C, specifically steel guitar. Like, tell us that journey.
7: Well, my father played uh, guitar. He played acoustic guitar. He would sometimes just grab a guitar and play and sing a song or two, usually country music, you know, back in West Texas. I had an inclination for music, I suppose. I would always put my ear to the uh, speaker in the car. You know, back then you you didn't ride with uh, seatbelts and bucket seats. You know, you had a bench seat and no seatbelts. So I'd be between my mother and dad, and the speaker would be facing directly back toward the passengers and they would catch me uh, putting my ear to the uh, speaker. And I did that because I wanted to hear the full range, you know. And back then the speakers were pretty good, but you, you had to get a little closer to hear with like the bass and feel all the lower frequencies and things. So they thought I was hard at hearing. So so uh, as we uh, got over that particular hurdle, there was a, a fellow named uh, Dunnigan, who started a school of music uh, for Hawaiian music and they would send people down through the streets uh, of uh, these little towns, uh, oil towns and things and and ask knock on doors and find out if anyone was interested in taking Hawaiian steel guitar lessons so they knocked on the door on a Saturday when my father happened to be home and um, he said, is there anyone who would like to learn to play the steel guitar, the Hawaiian steel guitar? And, of course, my dad knew what it was, so I didn't know what it was. And he said, well, you've heard it on, you know, programs that we listen to, your know, country music. Finally, they talked back and forth, and I was kind of hum and And then he said something. He said, well, I think the girls like the musicians. Ah. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, long story short, I I started taking lessons, uh, uh, back then, and I guess that was probably about nine, nine, nine years old, and um, learned to play the steel guitar, the Hawaiian steel guitar. I had a great, a great uh, teacher, a very, very gifted teacher named Al Petty. That was a big start for me, and and I got calls, you know, to play with uh, groups around West Texas and play on television, and I won a, won a TV once in a, in a contest there for amateur contest. And, and that was the first TV my
0: parents had. So (laughs) So let's fast forward to 1997. You're you have a career going you've worked with a like a lot of amazing people by this point Crosby, Stills and Nash, I'm reading here, Buffalo Springfield, you've worked with a lot of people by 1997. Yes. How do you become involved in uh, the recording of From the Choir Girl Hotel? How do you become involved in the whole sound of Playboy Mommy?
7: Boy, that's a, you know, I can't remember the exact uh, person that called. I was here already in Nashville mm-hmm. and doing sessions, and I was, uh, we had finished this with, uh, <clears throat> the stint with Emily Lou Harris doing the Nash Ramblers. And I was still doing, you know, sessions with all, all the folks that uh, called. So I got uh, this call to come over there, I guess it was December mm-hmm. of, mid December of 97, yeah. And um, they flew me over and picked me up at the airport there in London, and uh, limousine me all the way down to Cornwall. <laughs> Six hours, Where, no? Yeah, yeah. that's a long time. But I, you know, the driver was very interesting. He he had driven for I guess some of the Beatles and Eric wow. and all that, and I had fun just talking to him about about music, you know. And we got down there and. Um, I, I didn't know how many songs or or what the deal was until I got there, but as it turned out, they just wanted me for that, that one song. Um, and uh, uh, Mark Hawley, I believe is his name became mm-hmm. her husband, right?
6: Mm-hmm.
7: He was the engineer, and it was basically just uh, just us. I think there might have been one other person there. I think the guys that played on the, the track were already gone, you know? hmm I was going to ask you that. I, are they still playing with her
0: or playing? Um, I knew they um, went. Are you talking about Matt and John?
7: Yeah, Matt and John, Steve. I think Steve was a Steve. Katen Steve Caton.
0: Steve Caton has not played guitar for her in a very long time since 99. Mark has. Mark Holly has actually been her guitarist since about 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Chamberlain just drummed on her she like just released an ep a few months ago in november yeah. maybe early december matt drummed on that mm-hmm. other than that she has really kind of been insular with doing all keyboards and mark doing all guitar and drum programming so mm, that's great yeah hopefully i think this new re- she's working on a new record right now and hopefully i think that matt will come back on that hopefully
7: oh that's great well that, that's yeah, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, there was no pressure at all. And um, I just enjoyed it. It was just like a vacation for me. Really? You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I got through with that. Well, I, you know, headed on back to uh, the States.
0: When you heard the track for the first time, was it completed for with the exception of your part or how how did you how did that work out?
7: Mm, you know, I think I heard the very final mix. Uh, whenever the album came out. And I believe that, um, see, well, that was released in early 98, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, May of 98.
7: May of 98. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I don't know if they sent one to, they might have just sent me one, you know, as a courtesy. I listened to it and it's it's amazing.
0: Did you, how did you come up with the line, with the guitar line, or was it just, it came to you from the music?
7: As I recall, it's uh, it's usually just, Feeling what's going on in the track, you know, mm-hmm. and also just uh, vocally how that—it's just one of those things where you just kind of sense where to go yeah. and what's going to work with with the feel of it and everything. And and I've been blessed with that that ability, I think. And it's not as it's not so many notes, but it's in the placement and in the context of the notes, you know. Yeah. You know. I was going to ask you about Tori too. Is she still involved with Rain?
0: Yeah, she. I mean, she's still a spokesperson for Rain. Yes. Yeah. Do you know anything about that, or?
7: Yes, I, I was really impressed. She was telling me about that whenever I was there. I, I just I just re- remembered to ask about that. But, um that's wonderful.
0: And what was it and like? So what was it like actually working with her? Did she have a lot of input into what you were doing? Was she in the booth while you were doing it? Did she kind of stay hands <laughs> off?
7: I think I think it was just do your thing, kind of. <laughs> uh, that's all I remember. You know, I would have remembered if it was very uh, controlling. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I, it's wonderful. It's just uh, I find that more times than not. I mean, unless there's a novice you know, producer, mm-hmm. and they really want something particular also. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I have to follow, you know, really rigid instructions? Uh-huh. But usually they just, um, usually you're called at this point in time, you know, they're called because they've heard some of your work, and they just kind of want want what you do, thankfully. Uh, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you got the right vibe, they already know you have the right vibe.
7: Yeah, yeah, sort of like that. It's any. It's amazing. But it's uh it's just so much fun to get to play on so many different styles Mm -hmm. and so many different records, you know. It's just been a blessing, it sure has.
0: Well, you can find more about Al on his website, alperkinsmusic.com. There, it's super exciting. You can see a gallery of a ton of photos from the 70s, 80s, 90s, including pictures of Al with Dolly, with Emmylou Harris. It's really, that's a great gallery, Al. Who put that together?
7: Well, um, our webmasters uh, over there are in Newcastle and it's Ian and Carol Ray R E A Y they certainly do a wonderful job
0: Yeah it's a great gallery including watching your fashions change throughout all you know throughout your career <laughs> watching your hair grow long and get cut short it's really great
7: Yeah it's something else I'll tell you Yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Ian and Carol have uh, smart choice music that's for, you know, people that want to find hard to find records and uh, if you ever have that occasion yourself, they they can dig up a whole bunch
0: of things, I'll tell you. I love that smart choice music. You can also find some of Al's music on Spotify. Al Perkins' Big Dog 3 is on Spotify. Check out the track You and Me featuring Emmylou Harris. It's a great track. And thank you so much for giving us your time today and chatting with us about your career.
7: Well, thank you, Efren. It's a, my pleasure.
0: That was just a small part from a longer interview with Al, which is available right now on our Patreon, patreon.com of songsofToryAmos. That's a great interview that goes more in-depth into Al's career, the wonderful people that he's worked with, and all of his perspectives on the music industry. So go check that out right now, patreon.com slash songsofToryAmos.
1: Well, you just tell them all You tell them all
0: I got a new friend.
1: grow I can't find those church bells that played when you died played glow
0: would you listen to playboy mommy that i would listen to in a smoky cabaret in like 1920
5: i would listen to it in a tower records because that's the first place i heard this song and i heard that Uh. sliding guitar yeah when i was shopping and it was before the album came out and i was like that's tori's voice and then it was playboy mommy and i was like what is this song she's like Country now or something. But yeah, it was in a Tower Records and I will always remember that was the first time I heard it. In first place I heard it. it So let's go back there.
4: Was it the four song
0: sampler?
5: I don't know what it was that they were playing. I mean it must have been that they had some kind of It must have been that
0: four song sampler. Right. Yeah. Was it like a listening station?
5: No, it was playing like in the store, like how they would play music in the store. Yeah. Wait, it was, wh-
0: was it the played. Tower Records in Hollywood?
5: In Concord, where I lived oh. up here in the Bay Area. Yeah.
0: Because that would have been David playing it, right? Yeah, totally. We have a former Tower employee on the line. Yeah. Hi, David. It's, it's really Tower forever. Once a Tower employee, always a Tower employee. Do you have a secret handshake or a secret, like,
4: wave when you meet other former Tower employees? Yes. You're like, store 144. Me too. hmm
5: <laughs> Have you seen the documentary that um, Colin Hanks made about Tower Records? I
4: did watch it. You
5: did watch yeah. it? Yeah. It's really good, even. You should see it.
4: Yeah. Did you know that TowerRecords.com has been relaunched? Oh, really? They have online retail. I don't know why, because it's not like we're at a loss for sources to buy music online, but they have like an mm. online
0: presence now. Yeah. Having an online presence is probably much cheaper than like maintaining any brick and mortar stores. Yeah. That's cool though. i have to check that out. Where would you listen to Playboy Mommy, David? I
4: would listen to it on a cruise to Alaska and I would have too much champagne that I'd be drinking out of a slipper. And then I would go tumbling down a spiral staircase (laughs) and land at the foot of the buffet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mmm, shrimp!
4: Exactly. Delicious.
0: From the Lowell Sun, November 8th, 1998, Tori says, It's not like I knew it, the miscarriage, would happen, or that I called my manager a day later and said, Hey, book the studio time. I know what the record's going to be about. But the songs did just sort of start coming. I was just sitting there kind of shocked and heartbroken and the songs came. It was probably three weeks after and Pandora was the first, then Spark and Playboy Mommy. But the big thing about the miscarriage is that freed me from religious subservience. It was, hey, the wolf will show up at your door. And whenever anybody said something like, it's all for the better, I just wanted to say, thank God you're not a poet. I still feel really connected with her, the baby, still feel really close to her. And I started appreciating the life force in another way. What do you think she means by religious subservience?
4: Yeah, I was going to ask you guys that too. And after everything that she'd written about and been through, why? It was this experience
0: that freed her from religious subservience. The way i take this possibly is that she's never she hasn't struck me as someone who is subservient to religion right she's always struck me as someone who's fighting the patriarchy and fighting that religious yeah she was teaching the children's choir in her leather pants exactly but she was always aware of it and respectful of it because of her father right like living in the same house as far as like her professional career goes like Mm. she's questioning Mm -hmm. the religious themes and she's questioning the dynamics within a religious context but she's always maybe held it as a belief You can't grow up a minister's daughter, I think, and not hold it in some capacity as something that you are somehow subservient to, right? Right. Um, Because it's such a strong presence her entire life. So maybe hearing that even people who have this close connection with God, quote unquote, or the Christian God, are saying just the wrong things and have no insight any more than she does on why this is the way, like why this happened. Maybe that that was a freeing thing to say like, well, you know, nothing either. And
4: maybe despite, you know, the reservations she had about the institutionalized church and all that stuff, she still found some comfort in Christianity because, like you said, of the tradition and the way she'd been raised in it. And maybe she just sort of severed all ties with it at this point when she talks about having conversations with other deities and not feeling like there's some grand plan or that things happen for a reason. Maybe that like liberated her from the
0: past in a new way. I don't know. That's a good way of saying it. That makes sense. I'd like to play this interview that I did with Erin Zamora. She shares with us a little bit of her perspective on the song Playboy Mommy and a little bit of her personal experience that she relates back to the song. Um, It was really lovely to talk with her, so roll it, Oliver. On the line, we have Erin Zamora. She wrote us an email, and she wanted to talk a little bit with us about Playboy Mommy. We've never met before, right, Erin?
9: Not that I know of. I have been to a lot of shows, but... I kind of stay on the sidelines.
0: Well, it's lovely to meet you and it's lovely to hear from you. I want to read a bit from your email. It's a short email, but you said that you'd be happy to share your relationship with Playboy Mommy and your healing through the song since your miscarriage three years ago. And we really wanted to have someone on that episode that had this perspective. Tell us first how you... Came to Tori's music?
9: Oh my goodness. So, this would have been when I was maybe 13 or 14. My sister would drive me to school in her red pickup truck. I remember sitting in that truck and we would listen to K Rock and silent all these years came on. And I was like, what? What is this? The way that I related to that song was knowing that I was gay at the time and being silent about it and being in the closet is how. I connected to the song and wanting someone to understand that and waiting for someone to understand me. And so at the end of the song, when they mentioned that it was Tori Amos, I said it over and over in my head, just trying to like brand that name into my brain. And then when I went to Warehouse Music, I was looking through all of the discs through Tori. I picked up a Why Can't Tori Read? I was looking through the songs on the back. I'm like, nope, I don't see Silent All These Years. Put it back down. What? And I found the little little earthquakes. And years later, when I realized what I had done, oh, I was devastated. I'm like, I had that disc in my hand, and I didn't know, and I let it go. Oh, no. Um, So since then, I have been largely obsessed with her and her music. I have maybe 120 shows that I've been to. Wait, what? That's my that's my touring story.
0: You've been to 120 shows and we've never met
9: i am a little bit socially awkward (laughs) and an introvert so i kind of stay on the sidelines a lot um a lot of your the other people that you've had on i know them and i remember meeting them i remember meeting people at meet and greets but you know i would never hang out after the show i usually just like went home i would go to the show by myself and i'd go home and you know i would just be there for the music i just kind of stuck stuck to myself
0: for the most part well tell us how you came to playboy mommy Tell us the circumstances and give us your perspective.
9: Yeah, so, um, you know, when I first heard it years ago, when the album first came out, I thought it was a very touching song, and um, I felt very sorry for Tori and her experience. However, three years ago, when I became pregnant myself, I miscarried at seven weeks. And so then I was listening to the song again, and it was... A hugely different experience for me. I would listen to it in the car and I'd sing along, and I wouldn't be able to get through the whole song without having like the big, ugly cries. And I'm not really an emotional person. And so, even to have all of that stuff like well up inside of me as kind of like shocked, I was like, where is this coming from? But I figured it was probably cathartic. And I would listen to the song over and over after my miscarriage. And so, I really related to it in a different way, and it helped me process my miscarriage through some of her lyrics that really hit home for me and the very unique relationship that the mother has with the baby that nobody else has. Nobody else has that physical connection with the baby, only the uh, mother. And so having, so being able to listen to Tori's song and her lyrics about that, it really supported me in being able to understand my feelings and everything I was going through. And she, the way that she said it, it was just perfect. And it was like, yes, yes, girl, like this is everything that I'm feeling, so.
0: What were the, I wanna know what the lyrics were specifically that maybe changed for you when you heard it again, you thought like, wow, it never occurred to me, but this is what this is about.
9: Yeah, so um, you had mentioned in the episode kind of believing that souls have a choice on who their parents are, and I totally believe that. I totally believe that beings choose to come into our lives And when she says, don't judge me so harsh, Mm -hmm. you know, with me being married to a woman, our children are going to have a very different experience than other kids. And so that child needs to be brave and strong, and it may not be an easy path. And so maybe this soul was just not up for it. And then another part was when she says, tell the soldiers my name. My dad is a veteran, and he passed away when I was eight. And so for me, when that soul left, it's like, okay, well, you have your grandpa on the other side, find him,
6: Mm.
9: and he will take care of you. And so that connection with the American soldier in her lyrics really supported me on that. Like, even if I can't have that physical connection with that being anymore, I have family on the other side.
0: I love that. I love that that gives like this whole different perspective too on the depth of the connection that you feel to this non-physical being that even in the other plane or the other dimension that you and your people are there to take care of that being like find the soldier and he will take care of you, protect you. Yeah. I love that.
9: Even now when I'm talking about it, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I could feel the emotions coming up again. The way that i just view this whole song is kind of like the last conversation that i get to have with my baby Mm -hmm. so with my miscarriage experience i have a whole soapbox to get on about miscarriage and just about everything in general about it like it's so much more common than anyone knows it one in four one in four pregnancies ends in a miscarriage but you don't hear one or women talking about it. So when I experienced my miscarriage, I ended up posting my experience on Facebook, maybe like a year later. And I had all of these friends come forward and say, I I know what, what you're talking about. And I experienced this too, and this is my experience. And I'm like, what? Like, I had no idea because it's such a private thing that people don't talk about.
0: Can we explore that for a moment? Like I know that it is such a private thing and that obviously is part of the reason that people don't talk about it so much and that there's sorrow attached to it and we're taught not to really give voice to our sorrow or don't be emotional or don't be hysterical. But how can people support each other that have gone through this? And like, what would you like to see?
9: Well, I think everything that Tori is doing is the right thing to do. It's making it part of the normal conversation it's not making it a taboo subject and she's really good with that through all of her music you know when you think about me and a gun Mm -hmm. bringing to light sexual assault bringing to light miscarriages and so when she is able to bring these really hard challenging subjects to the forefront and talk about it in such like an emotional guttural way Mm -hmm. that connects people so people end up having that emotional connection with her music And they have that emotional connection with her. Mm -hmm. But having her use that platform to to kind of say, like, hey, you know, like, a lot of us are really going through this. And we have these experiences in common. And I think with miscarriage, one of the quotes that you had Tori saying is, like, you know, people don't want to bring that into their life. And so they don't want to talk about it. And I think that's true. But then what the aftermath of that is that when you experience a miscarriage, you end up thinking that it's something about you, that I did something wrong. or that I'm not good enough, or there's something wrong with my body, or this baby didn't want me, or had I not gone on that hike, had I not drank so much soda, then maybe things would have been different. And I think especially for the mother too, I have all those questions all the time. Like, what if I didn't take that Tylenol? What if I didn't take that medication? Would, would things have been different? But, you know, in talking with my OBGYN at the time, she's like, even if you experience this here in my office, there would be nothing that I could do to stop it. It's just what happens. So that was helpful to me. I'm like, okay, like, so I could stop blaming myself. But, you know, when I became pregnant again, six months later, my wife was very much like, you will not get up. You're going to lay down all the time. No, you're not going to go to Target and walk up and down the aisles. No, you need to stay home. You need, like, so even though she was being helpful and I appreciated that and she wanted to make sure everything was fine. There was still that sense of maybe you think I did something wrong. Maybe you thought I was too active before, you know, so there's still that like, did I do something wrong? And so I think if we're able to talk about it, if we're able to, you know, share with our friends about everything that's going on, you know, people don't talk about being pregnant until they're past the first trimester. So you won't even hear any pregnancy announcements until they're past three months because that's when most miscarriages happen. So there's that whole situation of like, I don't want to have to experience this loss. I don't want to have to tell people I'm, I'm pregnant. No, I'm not pregnant anymore. Yeah. And then have to tell the story over and over and over again. Um, but I think it's in the sharing of the story with people who are able to hear it, with people who are able to have that tear in their hand you know, just to be able to share that experience and just to be with them and just to allow that sorrow to be present.
0: That's such a powerful story that you just relate about the doctor, your doctor who said that even if this started happening right here in this office, there's nothing I can do. And that does relieve you from the blame is not the right phrase, but it does help. I think it would help with the guilt like there, even if it started right this moment, it's just something that happens, like you said. Erin, um, I thank you so much for being here and being open and vulnerable and adding this perspective for our listeners. I think that that blows my mind just to uh, have such a connection with another being. Like That is something that I think is just as a man beyond me, but I'd really appreciate your openness and your honesty. Where can people find you online if they wanted to follow you?
9: So um, the only place I really have online presence um, that is public would be on YouTube. So I have a channel. um, It's my initials, EZ Dives. And it's where I go treasure hunting in the ocean. Oh,
0: shut up. I love that. Oh, my God. In the ocean?
9: Yeah. So I go snorkeling. So far, I go to Laguna Beach uh, down here in Southern California. I go snorkeling in the ocean. I essentially pick up all of the trash that the ocean has cleaned up off of the beach. But I find some interesting stuff.
0: I'm going to follow your channel right now. (laughs) <laughs>
9: Please do. It's super fun. My sisters both provide commentary on there and they're pretty funny. Um, so it's easy dives.
0: Great. Follow easy dives on YouTube, everybody. Do it right now. Aaron, I hope that we never go to another Tory show where we don't meet each other, especially because you just said Laguna Beach, which implies that you're in Southern California, which I didn't know that either. So
9: I am. <laughs> we're <yeah>. very close. <laughs> uh,
0: 120 Tory shows is almost as much as I've seen. So
9: just a comment. So the last show, I was seven months pregnant, and so when she played it in L.A. in the December shows for Native Invader, I was there seven months pregnant, bawling my eyes out. Oh my out. God! My friend who I brought with me, who had never ever been to a Tory show. She was looking at me going like, WTF? Like, what's going on here? And I'm like, I'll, I'll tell you, you in the don't car. get it. <laughs> <laughs> How come you didn't come to our end of so, tour
0: party at the precinct? Pregnant. Because
9: I wasn't aware of, any of this stuff. I, I'm still catching up on all of the podcasts. I'm in the middle of Boys for Pele now. Oh, I love it. So I'm still catching up. So I have a little bit of ways to go. I still have to get through all of Choir Girl. Okay, but I skipped ahead and listened to the Playboy Mommy episode just to prepare for this interview. And so I think it happened perfectly. It's it's great that you ignored me. I mean, that you didn't, that you missed my email. <laughs> so it, it, it totally worked out perfectly. Okay, so yeah. everything for a reason. And, you know, the universe had it perfectly aligned. And I love that. But yeah, the next time she comes around, hopefully, hopefully yes, this year. We'll I know, see. I know.
0: End of 2021, I hope. I,
9: I will i will find you good
0: please and you can be on our touring show let's totally
9: do that yeah sounds yeah, good. Okay, i love
0: it follow erin on easy dives on youtube and we'll talk again erin thank you so much well thank you,
9: thank you thank you this has been a great experience
0: our pleasure thank you and we'll talk again sounds good bye bye that was of course a small part of a longer interview, which is on our Patreon right now. So head over there to listen to the whole thing. It's a really incredible story that she shares. She goes into a lot more detail about her personal experience and it's worth the listen. So head over to patreon.com songs of Tori Amos. Final track of the album, Pandora's Aquarium. Where would you listen to this song? Released December 28th, 2020, our episode. Where would you listen to this if you could pick the perfect place in the world?
5: I would listen to it sitting in a theater with Tori singing it to me from the stage.
0: I was going to say that for everyone, but then I was like, no, that's a trickster's move. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a huckster's move.
5: I just love every single time she's ever performed this live that I've heard, whether on (laughs) tape or being there. It's just been so amazing. So I can't think of a better place.
0: I would like to listen to this song smack dab in the middle of a world tour that I'm doing every show of. Thank you. I want to listen to it in the
4: middle of like an old timey Busby Berkeley, highly choreographed water dance moment. You know, where like, we're making like snowflakey scenes in the pool, but we're also all
0: dressed as nuns.
5: I like the way your mind works, David.
0: (laughs) Um, Go ahead and read this from the liner notes for A Piano in 2006.
5: The songs that came were all the children that couldn't be with their mothers. It was very much about the love of a mother for her child and that loss. I felt as though I could see the spirits of the children separated from their birth mothers. They let me know they would eventually be going to another mother. I wanted my child to go to another mother and not have the envy of losing that bond.
0: I love that, and I wanna read this thing that Steve Savignac wrote in because I have something to say about this song. Steve wrote in, he Instagram messaged us, he slid into our DMs to say, listening to another amazing episode of Drive All Night, you talking about sound, I see sound as airwaves. So at the end of the album we're out of the water, just like a baby born, the first thing that we wait for is the baby to cry, to make a sound after being in the water. And so when Steve wrote that, I had this sort of epiphany moment the Lord of the Flies was diagnosed as sound. All the hell that I've been through was born as these songs. And that's why it's the last moment in the album. Mm. And David and I had kind of like split interpretations where I thought sound as in airwaves and he thought sound as in like mentally sound. But I Mm -hmm. just wanted to add this little thought that I had after Steve wrote us that because it goes along with all the things that she's been saying this whole album cycle, which is that I wasn't able to become a real mother, but I became a mother of songs. Or that, you know, these beings weren't in physical form, but they were in song form. So I wonder if the Lord of the Flies being another word for Hades, Hades being another word for hell. I wonder if all of this darkness and all of this spiritual unrest was born as sound. And if-
5: I love that. I think that's really, really beautiful, actually. I, I agree with you, Ephraim. I think that's a really beautiful way of saying it, actually, to say that it was born as sound, That makes me, I I have to admit that I've never really understood that line myself or I never really knew how to interpret it. So I'm going to go with that thought from now on. I like it.
0: My work here is done. Shake, shake, shake. We also received a breakdown from Eric Williams on this song, which i found really great. I, unfortunately, it's very long and we would do it a disservice to read it here in pieces and it's too long to read in its entirety so we're going to link to it on our show notes page but please do check it out songs on our show notes page we'll have a link from eric williams his thoughts on the song pandora's aquarium and you should read them it's a few pages long but worth it why don't you read this from michael erp australian michael Michael says, hi, Eve and David, how's it going? I just
4: finished the Pandora's Aquarium episode and loved the last three to wrap up Choir Girl. Thanks for that. Hotel in particular gave me lots of personal insight, but Pandora was great for the mythology section.
0: It was awesome. It was awesome. Because of our guest. Absolutely, because of our guest. Yes. Um, I enjoyed doing this season with you so much, David. The fact that we got it done within a year's time, I think that's a good pace for an album,
4: you know? I do too. Is this like, one of we'll those spend- moments where someone's going to write in and be like, 'We're David and Eve just talking about how awesome? Awesome the podcast is. We're congratulating ourselves. <laughs> yes, we were. And Shay for <laughs> no getting one else through
0: does. it. I know. Seriously, Shay, you're part of the team. So, how do you feel?
5: I am all for it and so excited. I mean, I'm not only the person that puts these researchers, I'm a huge fan of you guys, and I love listening to the podcast. So, I am loving the very constant production of
4: each episode. So, good job.
0: I'm not only the president, but I'm also a member. Also a member. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Should we have ranked the songs or talk about if going through this changed any of our rankings or thoughts on the songs or anything like that? Well, did it, David? Did it? No, it didn't. I'm nothing if not (laughs) stubborn and set in my ways. But no, I really think it's a testament to the relationship that I have with these songs that I'm pretty entrenched in them. I will say when I have a newfound appreciation for a song, it's usually lyrically. But sonically, mm. you know, which is probably what I respond to the most. Like, it will be difficult to change my mind at this point. Picture me at the table like that meme. Liquid Diamonds is the best song <laughs> on this album. Change my mind. <laughs> How about you guys? Sipping your
0: coffee. Uh huh.
5: Me? I am not someone that really ranks songs for myself so i don't really know that it would it anything changed i mean pandora spoken
0: is... as a true mother <laughs> i don't play favorites it's true
5: though <laughs> i mean i've yeah. definitely had favorites that have changed over the years but um pandora is always my number one on choir girl hotel being a very close second and the rest is just greatness so i don't know that i could rate each song from favorite to least favorite
0: Oh, I can. Okay, do it. <laughs> Hotels, number one. Always has been, always will be. Mm-hmm. The rest are number two. You're listening to Brandon Hellman's new remix of Cruel. If you want to hear it again, or in its entirety, without us talking over it, you can head over to our remix archive on our website, songswithtroyamins.com. Well, we did it. We finished the whole season, the whole album is done. We'll never go back, David. Are you sure about that? No, we may revisit it. (laughs) How's
4: your nicotine addiction at the end of the season? Still hitting them patches, David. Thank you for asking. Hitting
0: them hard. How's your nicotine addiction? Pretty good, I'm on the patches too, but I wear them as pasties. Oh cute, feeding those toxic chemicals directly into your nipples. (laughs) Direct,
4: like a nicotine (laughs) shot directly to the nipples. Just bloop, bloop, slap (laughs) them on, party time. Keeps them taut
0: and thick like erasers. Uh Uh-huh, I'm a real playboy mommy. Well, I've had so much fun doing this. Shay, you being on our episodes is really, it's a perfect fit. You just slid in perfectly.
5: Aw, oh, thanks. I've had a lot yeah. of fun doing it with you guys. Thanks for inviting you me should, back. You
0: should come back and do it more often.
5: I'd be happy to. Just let me know and I'll fire up the mic.
0: Fire it up. Like David's pants at the Portland 98 show. <laughs> yeah. we are, I know. Yes. That makes
5: me want to give your little baby feet a hug. Oh my
4: God. <laughs> thank you. Yes. From now on, we'll say this episode is lit like my pants at the 1998 Portland show.
5: <laughs> if that's not niche, then nothing is. I
4: know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everyone will know what that means. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) If you like what we do, head over to our social media profiles, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are Songs of Tori Amos on all platforms. But if you really like what we do, you can head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a supporter today where we have many different perks at many different levels, mostly exciting new audio content. We're we're living in two timelines, David. We are running simultaneously through Choir Girl and Little Earthquakes Revisited. And the interesting thing is that the episodes are coming out back to back numbered the same. So this is episode 413. The next episode we do will be one fourteen and then four fourteen and then one fifteen. It's wild. I love synchronicity though. It like totally pleases my mind that we're doing it this way. Me too. And it makes sense. We're at the center of all Tori
4: space and time across the multiverses. <laughs> we can see all past and present unfolding at once. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we're in two timelines at the same uh-huh. time but if you want to be a guest call us on our hotline 323-296-9955 and leave us a voicemail we will get back to you and we will talk about booking you for the b-side season or the venus season if you have a specific song that you want to talk about some of them are already booked up but not all of them are so get on it or you can email us songsoftoriamis at gmail.com what else can they do david i would like how we put them to work at the end of
4: every episode me too can we task someone with learning how to play a concertina
0: <laughs> oh yeah we should get a concertina official concertina like a concertinist exactly we couldn't find the harpsichord tuner, but we can find a concertinist. How hard could it possibly be to find a harpsichord tuner? We were looking for a specific one, not just anyone. Oh, that's true. <laughs> we just asked any harpsichord tuner. How was Boys for Pele? What was it like working on it? You worked on that, right? Um, Shay? Yes. Tell us your favorite thing about Amos. We have some time. Really? The show's not long enough. <laughs>
5: her ability to touch every one of her fans in different ways and speak to different parts of their lives and have us all come together in this community and know that we share, even though what she might be doing for one person is completely different for another person, but know that we just share her in that way. That's my answer.
0: Something that the wrap up always shows me is that how the same line can mean completely different things to different people. How we can all interpret it so radically different. I always forget that Mm -hmm. my way is not the only, like I'm always like, obviously it means this and it's always surprising to see that it means other things to other people. Sometimes surprising, (laughs) often infuriating. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm sure they feel the same way about us. (laughs) I'll bet. Uh. (laughs) Well, this has been a blast. We'll be back next week. I'm excited to talk again. Shay, would you be down for doing new segment called tales from the librarian sure what's that all about i have no idea but the title just came to me okay i'm in you're the librarian but is it tales from the lysharian <laughs> what about tales from the shabrarian
4: shabrarian
5: shabrarian i
0: love it <laughs> uh-huh. this has been such a blast thank you both for existing and we'll talk next week thank you uh, talk to you guys later Bye. bye